hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. And here we go. Line ball to start this game. Jeremy Loblotsky and John Morassi teeing off on one another. The Toporowski is just pounding away at Robinson. These, we said Toporowski, this is the guy who set a Western Hockey League record for 505 penalty minutes. Well, it's called like it is. Toporowski's a boon. Getting closer. He reaches in a right right back. He's not that Griffin. He's just fought. Stu Griffin. Oh, my goodness. Scott Parker for the KO of Stu Griffin. He- this is one of the best hockey fights we have seen in a long time. Bush tells the linesman, get the heck out of my kitchen. All right, Dexter. He absolutely decked Jim Crate with a wild right. Bashir staggered by a big left hand. Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to episode number 46 of the Five for Fighting podcast. My name is Alec, your host. And this is the show where we focus on the players who dropped the gloves and the fans who enjoyed watching them do it. Today, we just did a live episode over the weekend in the Enforcer Appreciation Group. So if you tuned into it, then you probably uh, have already heard this entire episode. But I'll make this really short because I did. I mean, we went on for like two hours of just bullshitting with a bunch of different fight fans. Darren, Chris, um, Mike, Gary, you were in there for a little bit. Um, so, the, I mean, it was a lot of fun doing it. And I actually... I'm looking forward to doing more. I think every every solo episode I have going forward, I'm going to at least try to do it into the group. Um, it sucks how I had to do it so late at night. Something came up that day. I wanted to do it like, I was initially going to do it at like two in the afternoon or something like that. And I ended up having to, I got recruited by my dad to go help our uh, grandmother move. She's all the way up in Orlando. So I had to I had to leave Friday night to go to Tampa. And then uh, Saturday morning, we went out to Orlando. And then I ended up driving back here Saturday night. Um, from Tampa after uh, being with my parent, you know, help my grandmother move and coming back. So long day. I didn't end up getting on here. I had to eat dinner. Um, I had to go stop and finally find the coveted Bushlight Apple, which that's what I was drinking during the during the podcast. So I had a lot of fun doing that. And it was actually, I will say, I'm not a, I'm not a cider guy. I normally don't like ciders like the Reds and the Angry Orchards, but the Bushlight Apple is pretty solid. It's just a hint of apple. It's not like it, it's. Because some of those damn apple beers, I swear, it tastes like, you know, once you, you're, you're eating like candy and it's almost too sugary, but it's a very just light hint of apple. So kudos to Bush Light for doing it right, I think. Here you go. Fuck. Rhyming over here. It should be a slogan. Um, damn, my check needs to be in the mail from Bush. I pump their tires all the time. But uh, no, it was it was it was a lot of fun doing the interview or excuse me, the episode, not interview, the live the live show. Um, hopefully I got an interview lined up this Friday and I think I mentioned it in here. It's with Rob Volterra. And I know I know for a fact I'll get Rob on, um, you know, a lot of the times if I'm talking to guys, I don't uh, I don't kind of announce the interview until it happens. But with Rob, I know it's going to happen. I was initially going to get him on before uh, the podcast went on the hiatus, but um, I told him I got to make it up to him and he's going to be the first guest on. So hopefully everything goes well this Friday. If not, I know it'll, it'll come out quick. Um, so I, there won't be a live episode this weekend. I don't think just because it's, uh, I got a lot of family coming in town. It's my birthday. So they're all coming in town 
Uh, we're going to kind of do like, I don't know, like a barbecue or some shit and sit by the pool and, uh, you know, just drink beer and eat barbecue the American, the American way. Right. So, um, but no, like I said, going forward, if I'm doing solo episodes, I really would like to do them live in the group. Um, obviously at a more convenient time as opposed to doing, I think I started at like 1230, ended up at like almost two in the morning, um, went on for two hours. So, but uh, no, it's a lot of fun and kind of, uh, create, um, conversations come up organically and, you know, I went there and this is like the top five of my favorite enforcers, which if you've listened to the podcast, you probably know generally who's going to be on that list. Maybe not the exact spot. Um, you'll probably definitely know number one, but. So I started off doing that and then, you know, kind of get sidetracked in between talking about stuff. And then after we got, I mean, I think it took maybe a whopping 30 minutes to go through my list, but the rest is all just fluff with, you know, bullshitting about other fight topics and stuff like that. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, I did a live episode a while back and it was pretty solid. I had a lot of fun, but I don't know. Um, I plan on getting a better camera because my camera for the, for, you know, the, the one that comes on the laptop that I have is pretty shitty. The frame rate is pretty low. So I do plan on getting a better camera. It's going to be a little bit more clear and um, I might have to get another light, like a, a lamp on my, my desk out here or something like that to, um, you know, make sure the lighting and the saturation, all that bullshit is fine. I'll have to tweak the camera settings. I'm not, this will be my first time ever using like a webcam. So, um, you know, I don't, I'll have to figure out all the settings and everything like that, but um, real quick before we get going, uh, you know, I, like I said, I'm going to keep this kind of short. So I just want to give a quick shout out to a couple shows, the usual suspects in the lineup. You got Darren over at the fourth line voice who just announced that he had Colt King on, which I think that interview will be out this Wednesday. So, uh, this episode's coming out tomorrow. So the following day you got Darren with Colt King, um, said he motherfucks a few guys in there. So I'm looking forward to that episode should be pretty solid. And if you go back in Darren's back catalog, I mean, He's got so many, so many guys, Joey Tedaranko, Josh Mazur, Chris Graff, John Morasti, Steve McIntyre. Um, I mean, what, what more can you say? And there's plenty more in there. And same could be said for the next show, uh, Joe over at the Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box, Joe Lazito. He's had on guys like Kerry Clark, Jason Strudwick, Aaron Asham. He's got like a five part series with Trevor Gilly. So Joe does a great job. He gets all, I mean, covers it all with these Islanders and Foresters. And that's, that's what his show is. I don't think I started with that, but his show is based on um, Islanders and Foresters. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a guy who played with the Islanders, but just the Islanders system. So if it was like their ECHL club or their AHL club, um, so. Definitely go check both those shows out and go check out Darren's YouTube channel at Fourth Line Voice. Same thing. And he's actually got the Bob Probert Invitational going on right now, too. And I know Joe is voting in it. I voted in it. Um, and a lot of other fight fans are. And it's basically a 64-man March Madness-style bracket where you go in and there's hypothetical matchups. You know, you, Darren clicks a randomizer button and guys get paired off. And I think already some of round one is complete. I think the rest of it will be complete today. So I think we're moving on to the second round now. Um, but you go in and vote and it's all, it's all, you know, hypothetical of, you know, between this guy and this guy. And sometimes you get matchups where guys have fought and you get matchups where guys have never fought. So you got to look at, see who, you know, um, who you think might be the winner and it's all for fun. So to please, please don't like, you know, where the fuck is Lyndon Byers or where's Troy Crowder or Kevin Kaminsky or it's all for fun. There can only be 64 and chances are those guys that you're talking about. We're probably in last year's. You got to kind of rotate guys through. This is the fifth year doing it. It's the fifth year Darren has done it. And I remember he first started it. I think it was like right when I got onto like the hockey fight Twitter world. Um, we're damn near close to it. But um, so chances are the guys that you're, you're saying or complaining that are missing. They've probably been in it. And 
uh, like you know, Darren has said, Lyndon Byers, if he goes up against George LaRock, do you really think Lyndon Byers is going to win that that voting battle? Um, and it's not a knock on Lyndon Byers, of course, but it's just how it goes. So I mean, is there really a need to raise a fuss about it? Because I've seen it, and it's not so much here on Twitter. Uh, Twitter's kind of got a big grasp on it now, uh, since that's where the the competition takes place. But Darren, this is his first time posting it out on Facebook, and oh my God, some of the some of the fucking comments are brutal. Oh, it's not even worth voting if you don't even have Craig Cox in there. Like, holy shit! And really, and again, big Craig Cox guy, dude, fucking stood in the pocket and threw it. But I mean, uh, who's who's Craig Cox better than in that tournament? If you look at all the names, you know, if he gets matched up with Steve McIntyre, do you really think he's going to go that far? Um, so, please don't motherfuck Darren or get all pissy if some if you know your favoriteist isn't in there. It's all for fun. It's just to get the their names out there and get people talking about enforcers for a little bit on the in the Twitter world. So go check that out. And last but not least, uh, I definitely need you to go and I will post it. I will post the link in the description here. I posted the last one. Go to Steve's GoFundMe. It's to bring back a Drop Your Gloves website. Um, if everybody everybody here probably remembers Drop Your Gloves. It was the the Bible for hockey fight cards and message boards and everything like that now the message boards i wasn't too active on because i was you know i'm younger so when that site was around and then it's prime i was barely probably using the fucking internet so uh just the way it goes but as far as fight cards i mean it had everything guys from their junior fight cards to you go to like the chl or the old western pro league fight cards like that you're just not going to see that on hockeyfights.com but you could catch them there because it was all user driven and there was many people who contributed to that site and unfortunately that fucking asshole number seven took it down and didn't tell anybody about it and just ended it instead of trying to pass it on to somebody so uh steve is trying his best he's leading the charge and he's got people who who were heavy contributors on the last site um backing him too trying to bring that site back and i think we're still stuck at around the fifth uh 5100 mark and it's gonna i know it's a lofty goal the goal is to get 10 grand for it but i think it can be done for the love of God, we have the Enforcer Appreciation Group where there's 13,000 members. If everybody just gave a fucking dollar, we'd be here by now. But there we go. Every episode, me, Darren, and Joe fucking sounding like a broken record at this point. Please donate. Please donate. But it's true. I mean, like I said, if everybody complains about how much they miss Drop Your Gloves, but then when it comes time to give a new Drop Your Gloves, um, everybody sits on their wallet and it's fucking crickets. So please, for the love of God, go donate to that. Again, I will post the link inside the description of this podcast. So it's super easy. All you have to do, go to the description, see the link, you click. And then all you got to do is press donate now. It's a very simple process. It's not hard. All you set up your credit card, whether it's a dollar, $500, doesn't matter. Anything helps at this point. So please, this will be a huge, huge aspect in preserving the history of fighting in, in the game of hockey. Um, like I said, hockeyfights.com is too busy posting fucking cat videos to actually give a shit and look at their database and maybe rethink what the hell they're doing. So please donate to this and we get a chance to bring back an integral part of fighting in hockey. Um, anyways, that's out of the way. I'll get the quick plugins for the social media where you can stay up to date with the podcast. I'm actually running a little bit longer than I wanted to. I was trying to keep this five minutes, but here I am at 10. You're making me motherfuck you over this damn GoFundMe. But seriously, go donate to it. Um, but anyways... So if you want to follow the podcast on Facebook, just search Five for Fighting Podcast. Give it a like, and you can follow it, and you'll stay up to date with everything. If you're on Instagram, just type out Five for Fighting Pod. Give it a follow. I post fight videos there, um, pictures. Same thing with Twitter. Just uh, type in at 
uh, you know, like the little at symbol and then the number five and then four fighting pod, it'll come right up and you can follow the podcast there and stay up to date with everything on what's new content and me bitching about hockey as you guys listen to me do every single podcast. So if you're new and this is your first episode, I hope you enjoy it and it's a fun time. I apologize. I get, you know, I get, I get a good buzz going by the end of the episode here. So, you know, if I start kind of sounding stupid, well, I apologize. That's on me. Um, I'm just starting to get back into drinking a little bit here, so I can't. Uh, I'm not. I'm not able to intake as much as I used to without having a buzz. So um, I didn't drink for almost four months, and we're weaning back into it. I got. I got after a little bit once he started, you know, talking hockey and bullshit. And so I do apologize if towards the end I'm sounding like a fucking moron. Uh, that's on me, but um, if you could please rate and review the show, subscribe to it, download it really helps the podcast grow and um, hoping to you know get some momentum with the podcast again we were in good standings so we're typically in the top 100 according to chartable you know however reputable that is probably not that great but was consistently in like the top 100 for hockey podcast um, in the US and Canada which is awesome to even think about some asshole in Florida somehow manages to get a hockey podcast in the top 100 and the two uh you know, kind of bigger, biggest markets for hockey podcasts. So that's cool. So let's see if we can get back on track. So like I said, rate and review the show. You don't have to leave a review per se. If you really want to, and you like the show, check it out. Um, and you can go down and leave a review, get the five stars or whatever it is. I think it's only on Apple podcast. You can do the review, but, um, anyways, guys, I'll keep it short here and well, shorter as short as I tried to make it, I guess, but I will leave it or excuse me. I will leave it at that. And, Hope you guys enjoyed the episode, and hopefully I catch you guys at the next live episode I do in the Enforcer Appreciation Group, which will probably be in like two weeks. So anyway, stay on the lookout for that. But thank you guys. Hope you enjoy the episode, and have a good one. This should be good. This should be very good. Seconds, guys. Um, anyways, we'll keep it rolling. If you're kind of just joining and you weren't here in the last video, basically I'll be doing a top five um, favorite enforcers for um, my personal favorites. So... Um, I suppose we'll jump right into the list. Sorry, I had a decent amount of viewers last time, and then I, I think we were up to like twenty, which would have been a lot of fun. And I was, uh, kept uh, kept giving me a uh, what's it called? Hey, what's going on, McMorrow? Great to see you. Uh, great to see you joining the the live feed for the podcast. I appreciate it. And Chris, the Apple Bush Lights. Where's that, what's that 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 uh, that damn Emperor's New Groove gif or the picture where it's like that? Oh, delicious! They are delicious. They got to be cold, but it's not like an overpowering, um, like apple taste. It's not like a Red's Apple Ale where it's really sweet, delicious. Um, and Mike, no spoilers. Yes, you already know Chris Nyland is going to be number one. So I'm going to start down from one to five because I figured I'd just get the obvious stuff out of the way. And yes, Tyler, I drink Bush. I'm sorry. So I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> but uh, like I said, for those tuning in, I, I was trying to. See if I can hardwire my damn Ethernet cable in here, but it looks like my laptop doesn't have an Ethernet port. So um, that's you know a letdown. I was gonna try to get a little bit of better connection, but I think we'll this will do. You know, as long as everybody can hear me, I think it's pretty good. So um, we'll get right into this. And like I said, spoiler alert. After you know, Mike kind of just guessed it. We'll go right off the bat here. Uh, my first favorite enforcer of all time, and if you've listened to the podcast for a while, you'll definitely know um, Chris Knuckles Nylon. Um, well, for one, him as a, as a person, Chris is an awesome guy. Um, and I'll, I want to do an episode completely dedicated to him, um, because he actually let me 
come up to Montreal and stay with him for a visit and, you know, kind of sightsee in Montreal. And we went to a bra- uh, what was a Bruins and Canadians game. Now, of course, it was no Bruins Canadians circa 19, um, you know, 92 or anything like that, where it's just rough and tumble hockey the entire time. But I had so much fun. Um, but my my appreciation for Chris Island really came when I was in high school and I had seen the last gladiators documentary. Now for those out there, I'll give you a little bit of info here. I'm, you know, I turn 25 next weekend, so I'm younger as far as like the enforcer, you know, fan crowd goes. Um, you know, it's just, just the way the cards were dealt, I guess. Um, I guess my parents couldn't fuck sooner. So, <laughs> uh, but no, so I, I had known about like, you know, guys like Bugard, McGrath and, um, guys like that, but I could never, I, I didn't know too, too much about the, uh, 80s and 70s kind of enforcers and stuff like that. So eventually down the line, I stumbled upon, well, it was one day after school, I was looking on Netflix and I just searched hockey and I ended up finding the last gladiators documentary. And if people are wondering kind of what that is, it was the precursor to the movie ice guardians. I'm sure a lot of people have seen ice guardians and it was basically it was based around um Chris Nyland and it had other guys in there it had Proby uh Twister McSorley and I think Todd yeah it had Todd Ewan and even a small snippet of Donald Brashear in there uh, when they were discussing the whole McSorley thing but that was where I kind of really got my feet wet with Chris Nyland and I started kind of I, I went down the fight uh rabbit hole uh one day on YouTube of Chris Nyland and really found a whole new appreciation for him and kind of that older style of hockey. And that's when I, I think my, you know, obsession for the old time hockey and the enforcers really got kicked off was because of that documentary. So, um, basically I enjoyed Chris's kind of out or, um, like outlook on the role. Um, and you know, he was never the biggest guy, but he'd, he'd go out there and he'd throw down every single time, no matter who it was. So I always really, really, really enjoyed Chris Nyland. Um, after that documentary. And I, like I said, I really just kind of dove into the um, the rabbit hole as far as his fight videos and everything like that. And um, just a quick little story about it and how I kind of got to meet him and go up to Montreal. You know, like I said, I want to do an episode completely dedicated to it because I think it'll be a lot of fun and everybody kind of gets to hear the, the story of how I got to stay and meet Chris Nyland was I basically had a... Um, uh, it was an ex-girlfriend at the time, and she had wrote a letter to Chris because she could see how much I enjoyed this documentary because I talked about it all the time. And uh, my ex-girlfriend and I, we were big hockey fans at the time. Um, I was still really big with the Lightning before, you know, the game started really getting watered down. But sent a letter to him, and he sent a letter back and told me, you know, if you ever want to get in contact with me, here's my number. Excuse me. And so I got into contact with Chris, and it was right before I joined the Marine Corps, so... He invited me to go up there to Montreal, but of course, going into the military, I never could. And even in the military, when I was in, it was going to be really hard to take leave and say, hey, by the way, uh, Staff Sergeant, I'm going to Canada. So (laughs) that doesn't fly too well in the military. But once I got out after four years, it was for the time was finally right. And I messaged Chris and I said, you know, hey, is is that offer still available? And he said, absolutely. So I went up there and um, they he was doing his show on TSN 690 at the time. And he got his, um, he was doing his radio show and he got his, I think it was his girlfriend, Jamie, to um, send an Uber to the airport for me to pick me up. So flew up there, he picked, uh, the guy in the Uber picked me up and we went straight to the TSN 690 station. It was during a commercial break is when they brought me into the, um, 
uh, with the, the studio where he does the radio. And that was before the podcast even existed. So I, I maybe that kind of really swayed me to start doing the podcast. So, um, you know, I got to see the TSN 690 studio. And I, I, I think the coolest thing I got to see out of everything was if you know Chris Nyland's career, you'll know that he was selected in an all-star game, but he never got to play in it because I believe it was his ankle or his foot was broken at the time. So he never got to play, but he has his all-star jersey. And obviously, if you followed the podcast as well, you know I'm a big game-worn um, hockey jersey collector. I love enforcers, and that's all I collect. I don't collect any any other type of players. So I got to see his all-star jersey in person. It was made up, and you know it was all done up for him, but he never got to wear it because, of course, he couldn't play. But um, So that was one of the coolest things. But, I mean, I'll go into more detail in a separate episode because that was just kind of like scratching the surface there at this point of um, – you know, my trip with Chris Nyland and I really want to do a full episode dedicated to it, but it was so much fun. And after that last lady, uh, excuse me, last gladiator documentary, like I said, I think I have Chris Nyland to think for my, my love for enforcers and, um, how much it got escalated because of that damn documentary. So, um, Chris Nyland will always be my number one favorite. Um, and you know, I'm sure the camera probably can't pick it up, but I have him fighting Tiger Williams on my damn forearm. That was the uh, first hockey fight tattoo I ever got. So, um, you know, Chris Nyland will always be on my arm. So that's kind of funny. Um, crazy to people I know. But anyways, we'll move on. So number two, let me pull it up on my phone here. I have none other. And I'm sure, if again, if you follow the podcast and you follow the Enforcer Appreciation Group quite often, you see how much I post. I post a lot of photos and stuff. John Nasty Morasty is number two for me. So I'm sure, like I said, no surprise, but what is there? What more can you say about Morasty? I've, I've posted about him before and I know other people have said it over and over again, but he really is pound for pound. One of the absolute like toughest dudes to, you know, go out there and fight. He was always kind of, I, I think hockey DB has him listed at five ten, but I think he's actually said he's six foot on the dot or six foot one. So hockey DB is inaccurate, but he was in that era where, the enforcers got really, really big. Like that's when the boo guards and the McIntyre started coming in. I think he fought boo guard. I know at least twice in the WHL and I, I know boo guard wasn't the same guy. He was in the NHL compared to the, uh, excuse me, the WHL. He was still kind of trying to f- find his own there, but, um, nonetheless, you know, Morasty took him on and you can see in the AHL video when he took on Steve McIntyre, when McIntyre was, I think he was with the, uh, was he with the Rochester Americans? I think that's who he was with. But either way, Morasty, he's one of the most entertaining fighters of all time. He just didn't back down from anybody. It didn't matter. Um, he was one of the few to go from the LNH to the AHL. Um, I think Sugden did that as well. But it was uh, it was funny. You know, you see him starting off, and he comes out a junior. I think he went straight to, uh, what was it, Bakersfield in the East Coast League. And then he went straight to the LNH. And, I mean, this was like peak LNH. This was when it was starting to get, like, really, really good. It went from the QSPHL to the um, the LNH as we, you know, know it today. So this was circa, uh, I think it was 0405. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I probably should have wrote all this stuff down, but we're kind of going off the cuff here, just bullshit. And so I think it's a lot more fun doing it this way. But, yeah, John Morasty went in, I, I'm going to say, 0405. And that's when they started getting killers. Um, oh, perfect. I was right. It was Rochester. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Um, and so he 
let me see, what does Mike say? It seems those big guys get more time to get tough. Yes, it does. Um, it's like it's because it's almost like when they get that big growth spurt, and he's he's talking about how Bugard and kind of it happened with McIntyre too. They're so big they almost don't know how to use it. And it was the same thing with Eric Cairns. I think Darren just discussed this with Steve on the podcast that those bigger guys they just take a little bit more time to kind of grow into their body and kind of know how to use it because they're so big compared to everybody else. Um, but yeah, so it was. John Morasti taking on these, you know, the Steve Bosses, Jacques Dubé. Um, what other killers were there? Uh, Joel Terrio, Jason Payne. Um, I mean, the list goes on with the LNH. I mean, throw a dart at it and you're going to hit some heavyweight because every team had, you know, five or six of them besides maybe Tetford. Um, <laughs> but Morasti was taking them all on. So, and he's just got that style where there's zero defense, there's no. You're not going to see Morassi trying to do jersey jabs. You're not going to see him really duck away and, um, oh, kind of steep belt somebody. Excuse me. Morassi's just the dude he throws straight down the pipe. Um, it's just like – and he'll he'll take three to give one. And the, my, I think what I respect about him most – I know, uh, you know, Chris, if you're still in here um, on the chat, I know this is one of your favorite fights too, and it's got to be mine. It's up there as one of my favorite fights of all time. Um, it's the the fight between John Morasti and Joel Terrio towards their later years in the LNH, and it is an absolute war. And they both, I, I think I respect it more because they both kind of, it also goes to Terrio too, but they're both kind of know uh, they're out of their way, or excuse me, they're, they're on their way out of the league. It's really kind of, the LNH was already a shell of itself at that point because this was circa, I think, 2013, 2014. So... And they're still giving it their all in Morassi. He still goes there to put on a show. And he totally didn't have to do that. And he still just throws right down the pipe, puts on a show for everybody. And funny, if you, I think I've posted them in this uh, the group before, but you can go back and you can see Morasti and Terrio actually took pictures after that fight, um, or after that game, I should say, and, you know, posed for the fans after. So that was pretty cool. And, uh, you know, and I know people have, like, skewed views of the LNH, but... At that point, you know, once it's especially circa 2014, when after that was like the last year of the, the enforcers in the NHL too, so they're there to put on a show and they know it. I know some people might not like it, but you still have to respect the, the fact that they were throwing down so heavy. Um, so to go out there and do that when they really didn't have to, they just do it for the love of the game, the love of fighting. I absolutely love that, and it, it, you know, it goes with Terrio too. And Terrio, he'd be in my top ten, but we're just doing top five. So Terrio is not in here. Spoiler alert, but. John Morasti, huge, huge Morasti fan, and I always will be. So, actually, that was another guy I have him. He was on, uh, he's right, where is he? Right here on my arm. John Morasti, I have him tattooed when he's squaring off with Curtis Tidball. It was when John Morasti was playing with Danbury. He played with the infamous uh, Danbury Trashers. So, um, we'll move on to number three. And, again, again, if you follow the podcast, you can probably guess my top five, honestly. So, uh, yeah, so I apologize for those who are kind of the loyal listeners and always, uh, you know, maybe know what my list would be before it even happens, right? So uh, my apologies. But number three, Andre Waugh. It's got to be Andre Waugh for me. Um, I, you know, grew up a Tampa fan. I still am a Tampa fan to a certain extent. I just don't watch the game as much. I was, and I even told Chris this. I was more happy to see Patrick Maroon get three cups this year than I really was to see the Lightning go back-to-back. Um so, um, but Andre Watt, he was kind of the first guy. I would I shouldn't say the first enforcer of the Lightning. 
but he stuck around the longest compared to the other guys. And Tampa was a team who they would get toughness, but they wouldn't employ toughness for long. They would have guys like, you know, Shikoni, Poshek, McCarthy. I think McCarthy lasted two seasons. Uh, they brought in Vukoda. I'm trying to think of who else. Nazarov and someone else. I'm trying to think right off the top of my head, but they just they they didn't employ guys for long. And I even posted that Vanden Bush and Friedrich fight. Friedrich wasn't there for long. They had um, uh, Brant Myers, uh, Jason Weimer. They even had Andy Bizu, but he was just there for preseason. I don't think Andy Bizu ever played um, a regular season game for them. So they never really employed toughness. So Andre Waugh, for me. Um, he was, let me see, I'd have to look it up to see what season he came in. I know he, he did two stints with the lightning. He had the one long stint and then he also came in and had a shorter stint, but it was the return I really loved. Um, and by then I was a little bit older at that point. So I can kind of understand the role a little bit more because when I moved to Tampa, I was, oh man, we moved to Tampa in Oh one, I think, or 2000, 2000 or 2001. So either way, I was probably about four years old. So, you know, you see a fight, and I grew up a Mallards fan, so we saw fights all the time at the Quad City Mallards games back in the day. Um, Tucker and DeBrus, there you go, Tyler. Yep, good one. I almost forgot. DeBrus, that's who I was trying to think of. Um, Tucker, I remember. Tucker, I don't consider an enforcer, more so an agitator, but I still absolutely love Darcy Tucker. Well, hell, they even had Wendell Clark for a second, and Wendell Clark even donned that, you know, I know people hate it, but that Storm jersey, so. Um, but, yeah, so first season for Wa was 0102. So, you know, Tyler, my man with the stats, I'm digging it. You know, making my my life a lot easier over here. So, um, Andre Waugh came in. And he was the first guy to really stay there for a long time. I think Shikoni was there for parts of three seasons. Same with Poshek. I know Poshek was the first guy to really come in. And they actually had McCray at one point. But McCray didn't last. I don't even think he played more than 25 games for the Lightning. So, um, Andre Waugh was really the solidified guy. And I was he necessarily the greatest enforcer no but a fan favorite for sure and one thing that sticks out to me and i i got to i was fortunate enough to actually interview wa so if you ever go back on the show's um catalog you could see an interview with andre wa and it was his first fight back when he returned to the lightning after he went to the penguins for a little bit and he came back to the lightning um he fought andrew peters and i remember i was at that game and it was the um, the buildup for that was like the, there was a buzz in the building and it's something you just don't see anymore, unfortunately in the game. And, uh, you know, some people think that's good. I think it's terrible, but you know, who am I? Right. So, but anyways, Andre Waugh, it's his first game back and the whole stadium is just chanting. And this is what the the fans would do at the stadium. And I mean, uh, I wanted to call it the forum. Now it's Amley arena, of course. Um, but the whole stadium just, we want Waugh. We want Wah. And, I mean, once he came over the bench, place is just going fucking ape shit. And you got Rick Peckham on the call, and he comes out, and he fights Andrew Peters. And Andrew Peters was no slouch. He was with uh, yeah, he was with Buffalo at the time. was when they had the damn Buffalo Slug jerseys. Uh, God, those fucking things. So he fights Andrew Peters, and he ends up getting the win. And the whole place is just going crazy. But Andre Wah, he was a dude, and he, you know, he was a... Um, one of the pieces that helped them win the cup in 2004 he actually fought Chris Simon in that 04 series with Calgary, but he was such a fan favorite in Tampa and he was a, you know, him and Dingman were on shock. And one of my favorite pictures is when him and, you know, well, they, of course they won the cup. So him and Dingman are skating in there. They got their hands up and it's just a fantastic picture because you get to see two tough guys, you know, 
work their asses off all year and they actually get rewarded for it. And then the, one of the best pictures as well, and you can see it in that, I think I put the caption as like, you know, the enforcers still take care of the boys off the ice. And if anybody remembers that 04 series, St. Louis had like, I think it was, it was either up on his eyebrow or like down here on his face. Um, could have been on his forehead either way, but he got boarded and he had to get stitches. And after they won the cup and they celebrate, you see Andre Waugh and he's in the locker room and St. Louis still getting worked on on the doctors, like um, the table or whatever. And Andre Waugh is just pouring beer down his damn mouth too. So, you know, the bo- he's still still taking care of the boys off the ice. So Andre Waugh is always a fan favorite um, in Tampa. And he's, a you know, one of my favorites of all time. So he takes the number three spot for me. Um, and again, if you listen to the podcast, you could probably guess number four, as I've always said, high regards for him. Um, mostly because of his style and his outlook on the role of Enforcer. It was actually the last Gladiators documentary that got me really interested in him. Um, and I know there's, we'll, we'll get into it, I guess, a little bit, but it's Tony Twist. And I know there's some controversy around him from when he was in the league. But Tony Twist, it's got to be number four for me. Um, I'm a huge Tony Twist fan. His style is what I absolutely love. He had like that old, like that boxer like style stance where his hands were kind of almost like this before a fight. And his style, if you look, and um, I've said it, and Darren on Fourth Line Voices said it. Tony Twist style, his fight stance and his style, his his like stance and his hands didn't change since junior. He had the same exact thing, uh, you know, going on. From his time with the Saskatoon Blades all the way to the very last game he played. Um, and Twister, just like <laughs> he said, Sirens. There you go, Chris. I know, I'm sure Chris is waiting for it, but you know, I'm a huge Twister fan, so this can't be a surprise to you. And I know Twister is probably uh, Chris's favorite, so. Um, but yeah, no, Twister was fantastic and one of the toughest of all time. I know he gets kind of. Um, I won't say talk down upon, but like he, it was weird because Twister would lose some that you really like. You're like, what are you doing, Twist? And it was like he when he took that loss to Heward, uh, it was a Larue, and then do I think he got screwed over? Uh, sorry, you know, so we'll cut it off real for a second. So Mike, Mike asked, did he get screwed over? Possibly. I don't see why St. Louis was gonna re- wasn't going to resign him. I know I, there's rumors that he was either going to go to Philly or Boston, I believe, and that would have been really interesting to see. I mean, you almost can't picture it, um, you know, Twister and any other jersey besides St. Louis, even though he played with Quebec too. But it's weird to see Twist outside of a St. Louis jersey. So could you imagine him in like Flyers orange? Oh, I don't know. Um, and so he might have in that in that sense that with the contract that he had, or that they, or excuse me, that they shouldn't lack thereof, the contract he didn't get. I mean, maybe, and he said in the um excuse me the last gladiators documentary that he went to go blow off steam on that motorcycle ride because he just found out st louis was going to pass on him so um i I think he really loved st louis so went out on that motorcycle ride and unfortunately that was what um what ended his career was that accident that he had and um it's unfortunate i remember he tried to rehab to come back and i if you look it up i think there's a video on youtube and you can see when they the peoria rivermen retire his number uh out there i think it's his number six that he wore with them instead of the 18 but it was number six and they retire it and they're talking in there that he was in like rehab to try to come back but it just never worked out so twister was trying to come back from it so i don't know you know it's always going to be one of those you know what could have been kind of deals and how much longer he had to be at that top spot because i mean he was the top dog i think at that point at that point it was probably him and Larocque and brashear were the top three of the league at that point so um 
But yeah, he had that that style that was just like right over the top, and he wasn't he wasn't going to sit there and try to maybe land the most accurate punch, but he was throwing that fist back and from like two states away, he's trying to come over the top and you're not going to get a left from twist. It's just not in his repertoire. He's throwing straight rights the entire time and just trying to come over the top. And he wasn't trying to punch at you. He was trying to punch through you. And he's like, Oh man, his outlook on the role in the last gladiators documentary. And again, I, you know, I can't shout that out enough. I know ice guardians is out there. Ice guardians is awesome, but I think last gladiators kind of get swept under the rug a little bit. So I just want to bring that up because I think it's actually a really solid documentary. It's a lot of more um, old schoolish tough guys. Like I said, it's got Probert, McSorley, Twist, um, Ewan. Um, and that was another fight Twist lost. And, and I was discussing his fight card. We kind of had like suspect losses with Heward, um, Ewan, and uh, Francois LaRue. And I think he got the revenge on LaRue. And LaRue, I think, wanted to hang his hat on the Twist victory and kind of turtled the next two times Twist tried to go after him. So um, LaRue was like, no, I, I, got, I got him once. So that's all I needed. And LaRue never really kind of squared up with him after. But... Um, the way he kind of talks about the enforcer role, he lays the blueprint out, and I recommend you go into the Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel, or you can just look it up on YouTube. It's uh, if you just look up Tony, was it Tony Twist talks about the enforcer role. Um, he's got all the ones with the, he's got Probert McSorley. McSorley's another really good one too. McSorley's one of the greatest enforcers of all time, hands down. And I'm not necessarily saying he's the best fighter of all time, but in terms of enforcing, there's a difference between being a good enforcer and a good fighter, and McSorley is definitely up there. Um, but McSorley and Twist are probably the best like outtakes where they kind of show a little bit more detail than what was shown in the movie. And the way Twist talks about it, and I love it, and he you know the other teams in town, so what does he do? He's gonna sit there and he gets a little sweat going on the bike, works out, does a does a few push-ups, gets the chest pumped and everything like that. And while the other teams are warming up or practicing or whatever, he goes and he just sits there on their he sits on their bench. And I've heard times where Twister would just take out or he'd go there, he'd pull out a newspaper and act like he's reading a newspaper on the other team's bench. And I mean, imagine fucking trying to do drills over there and you just got Tony Twist just eye fucking the shit out of you. Just knowing like if you fuck up, you're gonna get it. So just imagine that in pregame warm-ups. Like that's just the, the stuff you don't see today, unfortunately. But it was um it was really cool to hear that. And I love, love, love the outlook on the enforcer role that Tony Twist had. And I know one of the big like controversial things with him, um, and you know, whether it's good or bad, I know people say it. Uh I people it's it's never been proven and he's come out and he said he has not done it. So what does he have to lose at this point? And I think you know what I'm talking about. Let me, you know, let me kill this real quick. Um, but it's the the alleged steroid usage of Tony Twist, and whether or not he did, you know, um, some people might not like this answer. I don't really give a shit if a guy does steroids. I know it was. Oh, so of course, prevalent back then. That was when you get the juiced balls um, in, or not juiced balls, but like the, the juice heads in baseball. They get juice balls. Now I'm thinking of now that they, they call it, um, you know, with the new baseballs. But anyway, this ain't a baseball podcast. Well, fuck it. I digress, right? So, you know, that was when, when steroids were getting kind of big and they were really popular in the 90s. And um, whether Twist did them or not is still up in the air. And it's now, I don't know if it's ever been confirmed. There's no PED test out there that says he did. Um, if he did, it is what it is, in my opinion. These guys are all fighting for a spot. You got to remember, the, this is a job, at the, especially at the, the height of the 90s. This one, this this role was specialized. It wasn't just guys willing to brawl. I mean, guys were getting really fucking good at this. It was, like, scary good. So, um, 
if twisted steroids, it is what it is. Um, you know, I don't think it takes away from anything. I mean, Probert's come out and admitted he did steroids. So uh, again, it's the, you're fighting for a job. You're going to try to do any, any advantage you can. And the guys all did Jersey tricks. And if anybody in here collects jerseys, Tyler, I know you do. Um, I think Mike, Mike Terrio. Yeah, I know. I think you've collected a few jerseys before. I could be wrong, but I'm almost positive you do. Uh, Jersey mods, Jersey mods are huge. Dave Brown had a, like a skin tight sleeve on his left arm. So people couldn't grab it. Um, the list goes on with Jersey mods and, uh, you can, fuck, you can have a whole episode on that. Actually, I have had a whole episode on that with Brent cover. I was like the third episode I ever did. Um, so guys are always looking for an advantage and if twisted steroids, it is what it is. Again, a lot of guys probably did steroids back then. I will say, what twist did as far as bulking up, that's possible in an off season. If you really, really, really fucking try to work out and actually, you know, want to work for it. And I believe twister was, twister was a guy who generally loved fighting. So he loved his role. I think it's definitely possible. He could have just bulked up and, you know, put on like 15 pounds of muscle in the summer. It's definitely possible. If you know what you're doing, of course. Now I know you're thinking <laughs> my, you know, Fat face and beer drinking ass might not know anything about that, but in the Marine Corps, yes, I know it's possible. Um, you know, I've had buddies that have done it. I've put on, you know, 10 pounds of muscle in you know, four months. So it's definitely, it's doable. But anyways, if he did steroids, oh, well, other players did it. It is what it is. I don't think it takes away anything from them. They were all still, steroids don't necessarily make you a better fighter either. You could take steroids all you want. It's just so if I juice up with some people's logic, I swear. It's like if I stuck a needle in my arm and started taking tests, I can just go out there and start becoming a good fighter. That's not how it works. So um, you still have to work your ass off on steroids to see uh, results. But anyways, we will move on to number five. Number five spot on my list. Um Yes, and Jeff, you're right. Probert did him at the end of his career um, when he was with Chicago. And that's in the Tough Guy documentary that um, Probert came out with, which you could catch on. I think it's Amazon Prime. It's still free. Definitely a great documentary. I uh, highly recommend it. I got to read his book, actually. I haven't read the book, so um, I just, I'm not a big reader. Um, I know Big Marine doesn't know how to read, right? <laughs> so I definitely got to pick up that book and figure it out. But. Um, so no, number five, and some people might not know this guy. If you're a big LNH guy, you'll know him, and you know I'm a huge LNH fan myself. Um, it was kind of, you know, number five could probably change, but I just absolutely love Curtis Swanson. Um, you know, Curtis Cowboy Swanson was his nickname. They called him Cowboy, and he had the long hair. Uh, it was more so that the balls on this dude, he probably had to walk around with a fucking wheelbarrow to carry these things around the entire time. So this dude went into the LNH at its peak. I believe he got in there 0405 or 0506. I can't think of it off the top of my head. But Curtis Swanson came into the league when it was in its prime, and he was, I think, either 19 or 20. And he's taken on guys like John Rasty, Joel Terrio, um, who oh, fuck? Who else? They like Brandon Christian at the time. I mean, Joel Terrio and John Morasti should be enough. And this this dude, and he's not the best skater. In, and he, uh, you know, he definitely wasn't signed there to score goals. And again, I've had him on the podcast for um, straight out of junior too. Exactly correct, Mike. Um, I think. Oh well, he was with um, he was with the Fjord out in Saguenay. And then ended up going back to junior and all the stories. Um, and he's told it on, I think, Darren's podcast. Um, I had him on mine just to talk about specifically his LNH stuff. But he went into the junior talk. And this guy went back to the old, uh, was I think it was a junior B league. But, you know, imagine being a kid in junior B and you hear about this guy who was out. Um, oh, junior A. There you go. It was... Um, 
It was Junior A. Thank you, Mike. I guess, look at this. You guys make my research so easy. I don't even, I don't even have to have any damn, uh, <laughs> any damn notes up. You guys make my life so much easier. I got to do this more often, I guess, on my solo episodes. Holy shit! So, uh, yeah, there you go. Martin Morasti, Terry Obasi, all of them. Um, Curtis Tidwell. He fought. Like, his, his his fight card is stupid. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but I want to say it was like seventy. 72 fights in a single season he had and that's like fucking insane and the, like again this is the peak lnh and definitely as we just talked about steroids with twist uh there was a lot of way whey protein and chicken diet going on out there in the lnh we'll just put it that way and maybe a little bit more um <laughs> a very good pre-workout we'll call it <laughs> so um but yeah, so he went back to the uh, the Junior A League, and imagine, like you said, you get to hear about this guy who's out in the Quebec League fighting these fucking animals, and, you know, Darren described it as, in yeah, nose beers, there you go, right, a little bit of uh, <laughs> booger sugar, or sugar booger, whatever you want to fucking call it. So apparently it was just like the boogeyman was coming to town, is what Darren and um, Curtis described it as, so um, it's funny. But yeah, he's just this scrawny guy. He's not he's not bulked and he thought about doing steroids and it was with he was with Pat Cote and Laval. And if you ever see Pat Cote, it was uh two seventy five with about uh two percent body fat. So uh <laughs> Chris, just horny goat weed. There we go. <laughs> um well, what do you, what did you well geez, your name's in Japanese. I can't read that shit. He said, Hey from Japan, by the way, sweating balls working here. Um, and you're sinking cold beers. Where's your heart, man? <laughs> My apologies. I'll drink one for you. How about that? Um, but yeah, so apparently he thought about taking them and never did, which is crazy because in that league, it was like, you know, it was almost encouraged to take steroids at the time as bad as it is. We'll call a square a square here. Um, so he never ended up taking them, but so he's fighting these fucking animals, absolute animals. And he, he's just put, oh, it's Chris. All right, there you go. Sorry, you know, I've been to Japan, but I can't read Japanese to save my life. I was in Japan for six months. Um, so your name's Chris. All right, perfect. So anyway, he's there taking, uh, excuse me, or rather not taking steroids, and he's still fighting these dudes. And he's got the long hair swinging. And the craziest part to me was even when he was with Laval, fans were complaining he wasn't fighting enough. And he had like 70-something fights that year. I'm like, what? how can you be saying that he, he ain't fighting enough? Like, holy shit, what, what more can Swanson do for you? But again, and from what I've heard, and I know I don't know if Searson's on this live feed or not. I don't know if he is. Um, John out there in the UK said when he went to a game at the time, apparently Swanee could like barely cross over. And again, this is the LNH, so they they if you were a tough guy, you were strictly a tough guy. You weren't there to put the puck in the net. So they hired some guys. I know Jacques Dubé was one of those guys that they hired. He was a uh, initially a strip club bouncer, and or excuse me, a gentleman's club bouncer, and they threw him on some skates and gave him some cash. So out in the LNH, anything's possible. The dual bird flips, and I was just getting to that, Mike. Um, but apparently, so from what I understand, when he was with Laval, um, he was told that to um, – kind of amp it up a little bit, play up the theatrics, because that was the big deal in the LNH at the time. It was the show, and um, they'd have, like, guaranteed fucking fight nights out there. So it was a completely different animal. So you have, and you can look it up. I know, finally, I got to see the footage. Searson has it. Um, it was If you look up Classic Quebec League Violence on YouTube, um, you can see it's after a brawl. I think it might have been with Verdun. If I'm, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but you can see him, he's done and he, I guess got ejected from the game and he goes out there and he just gives the double birds like this. And it's one of the most like 
fantastic pro hockey photos I've ever seen. Um, and so Swanson gives the crowd the double bird because, of course, he's told to amp it up. And, you know, that's just what they do out there. So give the double bird. And then there's a fight where he's fighting uh, Blake Bossom. And, you know, it's kind of like the WWE show. And they fuck, they'd even play like the old um, like fight song or not fight songs. Was it the intro songs from like WWE fighters or WWE wrestlers? I should say not fighters. Um, but like some of the intro songs. So um, it had like, you know, that time to play the game and shit going on. So it's like it's like the WWE meets hockey out there. And he's over there mid fight with Blake. And he's got Blake uh, Bossom like bloody like nose. You can see the picture nose coming from nose uh, blood coming from Blake Bossom's nose. And Swanee's over there, and of course, if you're not watching this live, you won't be able to see what I'm doing. I'm sure you've seen the photo, though, where you can look on the Enforcer Appreciation group. Um, there you go. So Mike just posted the video of the Curtis Swanson double birds flicking off in the comments. So if you're in the comments right now, you can go check that out. But yeah, so Curtis Swanson sits there. And you, this one's definitely on YouTube, and you look up just Curtis Swanson versus Blake Bossom. So Bossom's got his nose almost broken or bloodied, and Swanson's still there, and he's got his hand out like this, like asking for the crowd to pump it up. It was just an absolute fucking gong show back then, but you have to, the amount of Disturbed played, yes, it was Disturbed, Duhast, and fucking Pantera. It was like every third song was Walk by Pantera, and then you got Duhast playing all the fucking time. Um, <laughs> there's another thing about the LNH, that and the fucking train horns, holy shit, going off like a banshee, but... So, you know, for a guy to come out there with Swanson stature, because he wasn't like, again, these are fucking animals we're talking about out there. Absolute killers. And for Swanson to go out there and do it for so long, um, or I shouldn't say for so long, he played quite a few seasons, I think at least four. Um, but to have such a high volume of fights versus just fucking killers um, was insane. And he actually competed in... It was the fall. What year was it? I think it was 2011. And if Jay was in here, he'd be able to tell me. Uh, or Yuka out there in Finland put on. It was so. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of the uh, Black and Blue Enforcer competition. It was, you know, Black and Blue, the Battle of the Hockey Enforcers, where uh, it had guys like Dean Mayran, Mike Segroy. Um, oh, what was it? Who, who else was in there? Link Gates, Jason Rushton. Um, John Hewitt, I had a lot, actually I had a lot of those guys on the show. I had Sigroy, Hewitt, Rushton, and I think I've had one more that was that competed in that competition. I can't think of it off the top of my head. Um, but so they had that competition, and it wasn't. Um, oh, that's great! Every third song was Pantera because every third whistle was a fucking Tilly. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, and so, there, but there was another one that they did later on down the line that wasn't specifically. It wasn't. It was supposed to be like kind of a, you know, the afterthought or not the afterthought, but the, the I'm trying to think of the sequel. Fuck. Apparently I've had too many Bush lights. Um, you know, the sequel to that black and blue competition, it was called Ice Warriors. And it was mostly LNH guys. It had, uh, you know, Sean McMorrow, hopefully if you're still in here in the comments, um, it had yourself, you competed in it. It had um, Curtis Swanson. He was in it. it was, Swanson looks completely different. He doesn't have his long, long fucking uh, cowboy hair going on, so it looks completely different, which is kind of funny. But it had um, Derek Parker. who Derek Parker was in the first one, I believe, as well. Um, he was in the black and blue competition. I'm trying to remember who else was in there. Those are the main three I remember off the top of my head. I know it had a couple of Finnish guys in there. But, yeah, so Swanson went out there, and I think he was in – I think he made it to the semifinals. He got really close to winning, I, I believe, but he did very, fairly well. But to go out there and do that after not playing for a minute, um, all the more reason to add to Swanee's, um 
you know, repertoire, I guess, or his his fight. I mean, I guess you could say his fight card, right? Technically, it's in a competition, but you can actually look that up on YouTube as well. I know a lot of people. That's that's what a lot of people don't know of is that old um, Ice Warriors competition. Like I said, that happened back in 2011. So that one, it was was it 2011? Yeah. Okay, it's got to be 2011. Either way, the fucking year doesn't matter but yeah so there's my top five so top five rattling it off chris nyland um john morasti andre Watt, tony twist and curtis swanson you ask me tomorrow and maybe the fifth one will change or whatever but um you know fuck we're going on you know 38 minutes here anybody else have any topics i mean i don't give a shit i got nothing but time right now it's only the, the night is young as they say right so if anybody else wants me to talk about anything i don't give a shit i'm here to talk fights all night um Whether it's current hockey, um, I mean, obviously I'm not going to talk about who won the fucking trade deadline or the draft or anything like that, so I'm not going to be discussing anything like that, but anything Enforcer or fight related, I'll be more than happy to talk about. doesn't matter if it's Enforcer jerseys, fights, um, what do you say, I'm surprised never had a fight off night. I'm actually really surprised that the, the Enforcer competition, the black and blue one, didn't oh yeah okay darren the fucking butter yeah like i said bend over i'll show you you know yeah, you got a, you got a lot of nerve talking to me that way griswold wasn't talking to you no <laughs> oh fuck cousin eddie out there in saskatchewan damn it no people the butter that i know i've said i'm from lando lakes florida that's not where the butter is made i want to say it's actually made out in michigan um but actually yeah mike i'm actually really surprised the quebec uh well the province of quebec didn't hold that black and blue tournament you know you're thinking if they were able to because and i know darren has talked about it and i've talked about it i think we have we even discussed in the lna special i don't think the lnh would survive any roles besides quebec and even if you look on the vice sports bob probert invitational don't worry i'll get to that i'm just chris i got i got two other things i'm talking about that was one of them um i'll talk about it i was just seeing if anybody um Cousin A passed out in the basement tonight. Yeah, maybe, uh, yeah, maybe old William out there in the damn fucking <laughs> out there in Flint, Michigan. Who knows? Um, got any news on guests you're pursuing or upcoming uh, for your podcast? So, normally I don't like to do this, I don't like to spoil it, but I can probably tell you one, at least if you know what, I'll just, I'll just say it. So, one guy who's coming on, uh, more than likely. I'm supposed to line up. I got him lined up for this upcoming Friday. Is the only one I'll say. But it's Rob Volterra, who played in the AHL. He played in the uh, the old Colon- well, not Colonial, it would have been the UHL at the time. And I think it'll be a lot of fun. I was supposed to get him on before the pod kind of stopped, and I felt really bad. So he's going to be the first guest I have back on. Um, so look out for Rob Volterra coming hopefully next Tuesday. That's the plan. Well, not this coming Tuesday. This coming Tuesday is going to be this episode. So luckily, if you listen to it live, you, you don't have to listen to it again, or you can. It doesn't matter to me. Give me a listen and a download or whatever the case may be. That's always nice. Helps the uh, the ratings out. I got to beat that fucking asshole fourth line voice, right? Um, so that's the one guest I do have lined up and I think it'll be a lot of fun. You can check out some of his fights um, on YouTube. He's got some good ones. He's got a really good one. I can't remember who we fought off the top of my head. It was a guy in the UHL uh, toe-to-toe battle and he's got the guy bloodied. So yeah, Rob Volterra, I got him coming up hopefully. So let me see. Get Brennan Evans on HL legend, a fucking beauty and a human being. I can, I can help arrange it for you. Players team without it. Fuck yeah. If you want to arrange anything, that'd be great. I lo- it's It makes my life so much fucking easier when people can help me out because it's funny and you know 
a lot of work goes into the podcast behind the scenes that people don't know. You you almost get like a used car salesman. You got to message these guys. And I don't mean, it doesn't mean in a negative way, but you kind of give the same spiel to every guy. Hey, my name's so-and-so, you know, my name's Alec. Can you come onto the podcast? I interview enforcers and tough guys. And sometimes you just get left on red. Um, step over the bar you have set. Yeah. Step over the bar. Fuck. I knew I need to dig a hole to even step over the damn thing. So, uh, but no, so a lot of, a lot of work goes into, um, you know, kind of getting guests lined up. And I think that's what some people don't really understand is it's, it's a lot of messaging and a lot of not hearing anything back. And you'd almost rather hear somebody say, no, I, I don't do the podcast and leave you on red. Or then when they tell you that, yeah, I'm down to come on the podcast. And then they just kind of don't want to come on the podcast. So, um, Hey Mike, you could be a car salesman and you know, it's okay. Uh, I've asked Trombley a couple times. He isn't interested. There you go. So, um, but Oh, Rob Trumbull. Yeah, I think I've asked him too, and I'm thinking about it. I know Rob Skurlak I've asked. So it's it's just a game of trying to find the right guy to ask. And, it, you know, it is what it is. And sometimes you get guys. I've had guys. Actually, the when I got Rob Ray on, it was funny as shit. I asked him forever ago, and then we had a couple back and forth, and it was on, like, Instagram I asked him of all places. We had a couple back and forth, and then I said something, was like, oh, yeah, I'm out here in, like, Florida. Never replied to me. Never replied. And then uh, I kid you not, like, a year later, he's like, hey, I'm going to do the podcast. I was like, okay. And at that point, that was, like, the biggest guy I ever had on the podcast. Anglestad, Mike, I know Anglestad isn't quite interested in doing that. And I know um, he wants to kind of lay low now. He's doing firefighting, so... um, well, I think Anglestad would be an absolute awesome fucking guest to have. For one, I wouldn't do an Anglestad interview. If anybody's going to interview Anglestad, it's got to be Darren at Fourth Line Voice because he knows the ins and outs of Mel's career. So that is one I would not be able to do. And if he ever agreed to do it on my show, I would just immediately direct him to Darren. So we, it's funny, you know, p- people think, oh, you're in competition. We're actually, we, we talk back and forth all the time about what guest, you know, oh, is it okay if I ask this guy? Yeah, absolutely. Dennis Descartes, I've tried to. I've messaged him. We'll see. I'm trying to get that, Chris. Um, but me and Darren messaged back and forth. Hey, if you ask this guy, no. Or would you be okay if I got this guy on, even though he's been on your show? And absolutely. Like, we're all here to just get stories. At the end of the day, we're, you know, we're all fans here. So um, there's no, like, competition or anything like that. And the more the merrier the way we see it. Because it's getting less and less. These guys are known every year. So at this point, as long as their voice gets out there, that's all that matters. Um, so we'll see what happens. And hopefully down the line, I know I have, I have at least two guys lined up. And as I mentioned, Rob Volterra is out there. So hopefully I can get him on next Friday. That's the plan is next Friday to interview him, which I think it'll go through. The only thing that might come, uh, conflict with, um, Volterra is he's on Pacific time and I'm all the way on the East coast, but I've already got it lined up. I have, it has to be Friday though. I wouldn't be able to do Saturday or Sunday. Um, it's my birthday weekend next weekend, so all our family's coming down here to Fort Myers. Let me kill this real quick. There we go. So, but yeah, I mean, it's um, a shame of you and we had a good chat. I just wish I got him longer and put more meat on the bones. Yeah. It's funny too, and like guys will, and it's no knock on the guys, but guys only give you as much as they want to, right? You can try to ask the right questions as much as you want, and if a guy has short answers, then um, they have short answers, and it is what it is. You just got to kind of roll with the punches, and 
it's one thing you kind of learn as you go is how do you how do you interview guys and you know kind of what hopefully maybe they'll be more receptive to in terms of questions asked but um yeah so i'm trying to know and also mike to answer your question up there i think you asked let me go back scroll up here um i think you asked if is link gates the craziest um yeah probably and I'll, I'll let a little cat out of the bag here. I've actually gotten contact with Link Gates, and it's very, very little contact. <laughs> um, I don't think he'd ever come on the show. He's on a flip phone. He does not. So, from my understanding, and you can definitely tell in the quality of um, the mic screen and shit. Nope, nope. I got this fucking patented, Darren. You can't steal this shit now, motherfucker. I've already done it. Nope. You ain't going live in here. Fucking pitter patter, bud. Um, no, I kid. No, that would be awesome. We got to get a fucking round table. We get Dr. Chris back on. God damn it. Um, but I've actually contacted Link Gates before. I somehow got his numbers. I stumbled on it. Somebody sent it to me. Well, for I'll, I'll be honest. One, I haven't worked up the nerve to ever ask if Link Gates will come on the show, but I don't think he will. And I tried to get him his fight tape. Darren has his fight tape. And I asked Link, I said, hey, I can have somebody send you this. Um, if you're interested, let me know. And I think he's kind of put fighting in the past. We'll see. Um, I don't mean this in the in the nicest way possible. You know, Link's kind of a loose cannon, so you never know um, how he would be. I don't know in a week. So who knows? Maybe he likes fighting again. But I, you know, I'm just I'm not gonna try to pry at that. We'll put it that way. Um, but I've actually talked to Link Gates before. Now, is he one of the craziest? Uh, yeah, probably. Um, I'm just talking sound quality because I have the mic on the desk and shit that's just sitting here. Well, fuck. I mean, it's at least a step up from William over there with his, you know, string and Campbell's chicken noodle soup can. So at least you got that going for you. Um, anyone ever spoke with Marco Capra? Two-time OHL PIM leader? Um, maybe Darren has. I haven't. If, if the guy was very popular in junior, and that's where I love Darren's show, um, Darren will know fucking, well, especially if it's the dub, because that's what he, that was his, his wheelhouse. When it comes to junior hockey, obviously being down in Florida and growing up around that, I don't know too, too much about junior hockey at all. I'll touch on it with guys, but if you ever noticed in my interviews, we kind of brush over junior just a little bit. I mean, I get going on it and ask him how he got into, how a guy got into fighting and stuff like that, but I don't go out of my way to, um, um, you know, try to go in like dive deep into junior because I just, it's something I'm just not, I don't know too much about even without, you know, fight tapes. I know Darren will kind of know who guys fought. So, um, if you're looking for like guys who are really popular in junior, which I think would be a great series to do and Darren, there you go. Fuck, you know, I'll take my paycheck in the mail as I'm over here giving you fucking ideas. Um, <laughs> give, uh, uh, you should probably do like an, like an interview series where you interview guys who, didn't go further than junior. I know you've talked about like talk, like discussing players, but that would be cool if you could somehow interview players who, you know, kind of stopped like maybe played like one year a pro, but they were mostly known for their junior career. So I think that'd be a lot of fun, but junior is something that's definitely in Darren's repertoire as opposed to mine. Um, let's see. Martin asked, I have a question. What will be the next generation of tough guys in the NHL? Kind of like Maroon. <sighs> you know, I'm a big Pat Maroon guy. Do I consider him an enforcer? No. Um, there you go, Mike. You see, look, Darren, you even get questions. There you go. I'm fucking helping you out. Mike asked, how crazy was the dub back in the day? The team warm-ups and clappers into the halls. Yeah, the dub was a fucking Wild West back then. Um, 
But no, Martin, back to your question about Maroon and guys like that. Um, so Maroon is probably about as, I mean, as, as bad as it sounds, but as good as it's going to get. And, you know, Maroon is no Tony Twist, obviously, and I discussed on this uh, in my last episode. I'm a big Maroon guy while I'm a huge Maroon fan. I know his fighting ability. He's a very technical fighter. He's not going to be one to stand there and throw down the pocket. And I know a lot of guys aren't like that today. Uh, one guy that would be like that is Luke Witkowski, who he plays with the crunch. Now. I think he's rehabilitating an, an injury. But he was with the Lightning for a little bit. And then once everything really shifted towards the speed and skill side of the game, um, they cut him out. I think he played a couple games last season, and that was it. But I, I, I'm a huge Luke, uh, Luke Witkowski guy. He's pretty awesome. But... You're going to get guys more so like Matt Martin and Pat Maroon. And Matt Martin, I think, his and his fight card's better than Pat Maroon's. He's fought a little bit more heavy guys. Um, they've both fought Chara plenty of times. And, well, the funny thing is, you know, even though I can, I don't consider Maroon the, you know, the greatest tough guy of all time. Fuck, of course. And this whole myth about Chara, I hate that fucking myth. And Chara, don't get me wrong, Chara's a great player. One of the Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame guy for sure. Um... He is not a great fighter. I'm sorry to break the news to everybody out there. He's a fucking horrible fighter. And he even bailed on Pat Maroon. And if you're bailing on Pat Maroon, you're doing something wrong. It just shows how not good of a fighter you are. And I'm not saying that in a disrespectful way towards Pat. But Pat is not, you know, like I said, he's not He's not Tony Twist. You're not going to get, you know, I don't think you have to worry about getting KO'd by Pat Maroon. He's just a guy who's willing to do it. Kind of like, um, kind of like Matt Martin is. Matt Martin, I think, is a little bit better. I'd rather have probably Matt Martin on my team than Pat Maroon. But I'm still a huge fan of both of them. I said that going into it that when they won, if Maroon won the cup, that's great. If Martin won the cup, um, that's great as well. But um, Maroon actually has a pretty decent fight card. But as far as terms of like future fighters in the NHL, um, you're gonna. I mean, I mean, every team would want a Tom Wilson. And I know people don't like to hear that, or Ryan Reeves. Um, probably more so Tom Wilson, because I think he's a better player than Reeves. But I think that's where it's going to get. And do I think fighting will ever leave the game completely? No, because the players vote on it every year. But it's like, you know, when the fights just turn into jersey jabs and everybody's got their their you know their head head tucked down like that with their visor on, and, you know, what do we really have to worry about? So um, I don't think fighting will ever be removed from the game. But in the NHL, it's really just going to turn into like you know you, you, the masters of the craft are kind of really on their way out. Especially guy when you got Reeves, Lucic, guys like that when they were actually they they know what the hell they're doing. Um, and you might get the occasional AHL call up, like you got Curtis Gabriel, who I thought was really solid this year. I know he didn't uh, per se, you know, win a a shit ton, but he was still out there willing and throwing, but. Guys like that, maybe. Um, but in terms of NHL, NHL tough guys, it's all going to maybe be guys like Reeves. And I don't even think you're going to get as quality of fighter as Reeves. So probably going to be. Uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to. I can't even think of like you know who I'd consider a guy who just like drops his gloves. Maybe like Luke Shen. Luke Shen was pretty solid. So um, that's probably it. I th- and I I touched on this in my last podcast. I think the. ECHL or the AHL, especially probably the ECHL, because I know both those leagues you have turned into like um, development or developmental leagues um, to where guys will. Uh, it's not so like lifers aren't. Yeah, my Montreal had under ten fights total this year. Yeah, Luke Shen led the Lightning's fight totals with five. So what does that tell you? 
It's 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 brutal all the way around. I should actually probably look those up. Those fight totals. Um, but like the East Coast is really kind of like I think the la- the East Coast and the uh, SPHL really like the last oorah of guys who are really solid in juniors at fighting because now you just don't you don't see any fighters coming out of junior now because of all the fight rules. The dub is the only league that doesn't have any fight rules anymore. So even the East Coast League and I, does the AHL have fight rules? I can't think of it off the top of my head, but I know for sure the ECHL has the ten fight limit. So. Um, it's like sometimes it almost gets to a point like why bother? Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but why are you going to put your team down and run the risk? Because if if you go over the 10-fight limit in the East Coast League, I think it's an automatic one-game suspension, I think. So um, in terms of fighters for the future generations of hockey, it's going to get less and less every year. It's I mean, it's already pretty much to a minimum if you've ever seen the fight totals going from year to year. So... It's pretty bad now, but it's only going to get less and less. That's why I said I'd rather enjoy it now with guys like Martin, Maroon, Lucic, and Reeves. Especially Lucic and Reeves. I think the fuck Lucic maybe has one year left, as bad as that sounds. I love Lucic. I'm a huge Lucic guy. I have his Game Warren jersey in my closet, but I just – oh, so does AHL. Okay, thank you, Darren. I thought they did. I couldn't remember if it was the t- if they also have that fucking ten fight limit, which again it's like who's fighting more than ten times a year anyway anymore. Like I said, Luke Shen led the Lightning with five. So, um, and as Mike pointed out, Montreal had under ten fights total this year. So who's really fighting over ten times anyway? Like why put in a rule for something that's not even out of hand? It's fucking stupid. Um, excuse me. So. Um, yeah, it's it's a shame. I'm, I'm hoping the ECHL still has a little bit of flair that this year, from what I've understood from uh, talking to some folks who you know go to the games and um, even John over who ran the Hockey Fight League, that the East Coast League is still pretty fun to watch. Um, let me see. Edmondson, Sherry, Weber, Perry, that's about it. Jesus Christ. Yeah, he didn't really have any. Uh, just Galant. Yeah, the Galant brothers, like Darren said, Galant, those are probably the two, two toughest in hockey, hands down. Those two are fucking tough. Like, like just absolute bulldogs. So those are probably the toughest dudes in hockey, um, but they're in the AHL, and I don't think they'll ever see another NHL. Well, Brett especially won't see another NHL game, and I don't think Alex ever has seen one outside of preseason. So, um, I mean, it's unfortunate. I think the closest thing you, you got was um, uh, Scott. Was it Scott Sabrin? Was that it? The, yeah, I think that was his name. When he came up, and I know he was he fought in the minors for a while down in the AHL, and then he got brought up by Ottawa, and then everybody thought it was so cool when fucking Austin Matthews did the whole, like, oh, who is this? Looked at his name bar. And that was pretty savage. Oh, yeah, so savage. But, yeah, look what that got. Uh, look where that got Toronto. Yeah. Um, but anyways, let me see. What did Chris say? Uh, they actively avoid hitting each other and nothing to fight about. No, there isn't. It's like... What is there to fight about now? Nobody hits anymore unless it's playoffs. And even then, and I said this too. And, you know, I, I admit that the, the first two games, and I said this in the last pod, that the, the first two games that the Lightning and the Panthers played were fucking tremendous hockey. There was no fights, but it was so much fucking hating. Guys were running each other. It was it, it actually showed potential, and it showed emotion in a hockey game. Um, but goddamn, whoever the hit total or the hit counter is for the NHL, I want to know what kind of crack they're smoking because there was one where it was like, oh, they had, there was 43 hits in the first period. Well, fuck, are you, are you kidding me? I think I heard the boards rattle three times maybe. Like, <laughs> who's counting this shit? So I don't know who does the counting of 
the hits in the NHL, but it was, you know, by the end of this game, it's really intense between the Lightning and the Islanders. There was, there was 86 hits all game. What the fuck are you saying? Like it's, so I don't know if you brush it up against a guy on the boards, is that considered a hit now? Um, so I don't, I don't know. It's like you said, there's not much to fight about. And then even when, even when fights want to happen, I know people were disappointed in the Maroon and Martin fight. And I was too. I thought I was hoping for something better when they were going to square off. And I think actually be able to kind of get a better hold that both of them wanted to, as opposed to being right next to, or like, you know, face to face in a scrum and having to kind of break apart. Um, the linesmen got in. And I think the linesmen have gotten in a lot. Like, it seems like every year they just get in earlier and earlier in fights. Um, as soon as exactly hits by what criteria it's like what's considered the hit now right um i, I don't know <laughs> like i like i said it's like what the fuck are we talking about you just said there was 46 hits in the first period but i didn't i think i maybe saw eight so it's like what what's considered the hit um Enjoy your beers and keep up the good work. I appreciate it. Hope you listen to the pod. If you missed anything, hope you go back and listen to this episode. It'll be out on Tuesday. So, um, you know, we'll get that going. But, yeah, so it's like the, the linesmen step in so early. As soon as the guy's bucket comes off, they, they step right in. It's like, why? And the who's going to – it's not like any damage is going to be done anyway. I know there was that off, you know, kind of KO that – was it Barkley? It was either Goodrow or Coleman. I can't think of who it was off the top of my head. Kind of KO'd Adam Ernie this year. Then who uh, – some other guy from Edmonton got KO'd-ish or, like, kind of got the – you know, was seeing stars after the fight a little bit. But, I mean, what damage is really going to get done when it's just fucking jersey jabs and then a bro hug afterwards. So, um I don't know. The linesmen are getting worse and worse every year, it seems. And um, it, it's even in the playoffs, it was ticky tack calls. I, I watched all the lightning, at least all the lightning playoffs. I think I watched two other games. I watched one Vegas game and one Capitals game when that was on. So um, Colt King on Wednesday. There you go, Darren. So Darren has Colt King coming out this Wednesday. He just interviewed him and he told me this. Talked to him privately. It's been very good. So I think a lot of people are going to enjoy that one. So I'll pump the tires for that. Um, you know, and so I'm not going to start wrapping it up here. But, you know, if anybody wants to come up with other topics, go ahead. But I'll real quick, I'll give a shout out to Darren's fourth line voice, Bob Probert Invitational, that's going down on Twitter now. The opening, or excuse me, the polls have opened and the voting is open now for the Bob Probert Invitational. And if you're wondering what that is, it is a 64 man fight tournament. So Darren picks out 64 enforcers all from different eras, whether it's, you know, you got, you know, Dave Brown, Rob Ray, uh, Steve McIntyre, Reed Lowe. So the list goes on with that. And it's a 64. It's like a March, uh, March Madness style bracket. 64 guys uh, devoted on all by the people. It's, you know, it's not predetermined. The only thing he does, he puts all the names in a little like randomizer clicks, you know, clicks. Okay, go completely randomizes the matchups and everybody votes on it to see who is the last man standing. So well, real quick, uh, Mike, how many jerseys do I, I'd actually have to go count them. I've, I've, I've sold some and I have uh, gained some and I've got another one coming Monday. So I'll get back to, I'll circle back to that after I'm done talking about the Bob Probert invitation. I got to do this. So Darren sends me my check. It's probably gonna be like fucking a couple shillings. Um, get out and fucking vote fucking week total so far on the weekend under 300 brutal. Yes. So go vote. It is, like I said, a 64 man, uh, enforce a tournament. You can vote on it, whether you want to get into Twitter. I know a lot of people don't like Twitter. 
And believe me, I know Twitter's fucking brutal, so um, I totally understand that. But just for the sake of getting guys' names out there, um, excuse me, getting guys' names out there and talking about you know hypothetical fight matchups, go out there and vote in the Bob Probert Invitational. It is a whole lot of fun to see, and you see different matchups and different opinions on fights and enforcers. So. Go make a Twitter for the you know the tournament. It'll be a couple weeks going here. I think I think it lasts two weeks. I think um, so. Just make a make a Twitter account. Get it going. There you go, Chris Banatee. Voted. I voted for Reed. Of course, it. Although, hey, I uh, yeah. <laughs> Chris is pumped. Reed will be pissed. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 Chris and Reed lower boys from what I've heard. Um, but no, so seriously, go vote. It's a lot of fun. It's a whole lot of fun just doing um, bullshit and. It's a it's a time where you can kind of hockey Twitter isn't filled with draft picks and fucking trade rumors. You get to hear about you know tough guys and enforcers for a little bit, so it's a lot of fun. Um, and one more thing I want to touch on, you know, before I go to other topics here, is all right. So in this group, all right, guys, listen, I'm gonna love with you here. I might motherfuck you a little bit. I apologize. In this group, we have thirteen thousand members. I know a lot of you motherfuckers used to love going on. DropYourGloves.com. That was the Bible for hockey fights. And I'm not talking about HockeyFights.com, not that garbage website and those fuckers with their goddamn cat videos because that site's a fucking nightmare. This is DropYourGloves.com. Very simple database to use. Um, We have started... Well, I should say we. uh, Fucking, I'm not French. Um, It was Steve who runs WhenProbertWasKing.com started a GoFundMe for the... um, it's a new Drop Your Gloves website. It is a Drop Your Gloves 2.0, if you will. So it's an enhanced version of it and much better. Um, let me drink my beer here. It is a GoFundMe campaign for it, and we've and so he went to he went to people who you know set up websites and web designers, everything like that. It's a lofty goal. It's ten grand. I get it. You know, I know times are tough. It's COVID. Um, it sucks, you know, COVID's on the, but we're on the back nine of COVID though. So, you know, Hey, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, well, if you're in the wild west, like Florida, like me, fuck it's, I mean, I don't know, it hasn't really been closed, but you know, this is a fucking Santa COVID podcast. So we're not going to discuss that, but we have had, oh, what is it up to? I think it's, a, it's at $5,100. Now the goal is $10,000 and this is a chance to bring back the fight cards that we all miss the history of fighting in hockey. You get to go back, you get to see guys' junior fights, the shit that you don't see on hockeyfights.com. This is the chance to bring it back. And all you have, I have it posted in here in this group. It's an announcement. So it's the first thing you will see as soon as you click on, you know, the group's page. And I'll, I think I post, like, bring back a proper fight database. So go there, check it out, and donate. It doesn't matter if it's a dollar, $500, 10 grand, whatever the fucking case is. Anything helps at this point. We're just trying to bring back a proper fight database. It'll help out a huge, huge fucking um, load to bring back the fight cards. that, And I know a lot of players like it, too. And you got to think about it in, in, in this way. You can buy sick DVDs. Yeah, you can. Um, but you got to think about it like, you know, if you're a guy who only fought in the WHL, um, that's your only, your only chance to get a fight card. And that's where guys can see their fight card. Oh, yeah, I fought this guy. Or, you know, um, you know, if you want to end a debate with somebody, you can go there and check it out. But it's just really big history for the game and the history of the hobby because I know there was a lot of message boards. And this was before my time, so 
I get to hear stories from, you know, Darren and Steve on it. And it's a lot of fun. And I, I really wish I was able to, you know, go back and actually appreciate it. I remember going on the hockey fight message board forums, um, uh, it was just hockeyfights.com and the message boards on there. And that was a lot of fun. So I can only imagine how great the, you know what, Darren, I'll plug your condo in later, you motherfucker. Um, <laughs> but no, so that, you know, this is your chance to bring it back. And again, whether it's a dollar, five dollars, hundred dollars, doesn't matter. Anything helps. If everybody from the group, we have 13,000 members. If everybody from the group just donated a dollar, we would be at the goal by now. So, um, it's a little disappointing to see, unfortunately, and I don't mean to be rude or brash, but it kind of fucking sucks to see the lack of effort given because when Drop Your Gloves first went down, I remember everybody, oh my God, where's the site going? I missed the site, um, you know, this and that, and you know, everybody wants it back, but when it comes time to, when push comes to shove and it's time to, you know, throw a couple shillings out for some some Drop Your Gloves 2.0, everybody kind of, you know, kind of sits on their sits on their pockets a little bit, so I don't mean to be rude, but um and, you know it's just how it is so please do me a favor and go donate to that gofundme and again it's marked as an announcement right there at the top of the enforcer appreciation group of course that you're all watching this in so hopefully uh we can kind of get a better better following and a better donation pool going for it so um let me see no fuck that i yell at these assholes every episode <laughs> yeah i guess you're right darren yeah you motherfuckers, just goddamn donate. That's true. Darren does yell every episode. I mean, he yells at the clouds every episode anyhow, but that one I agree with. So, um, and let's see, who had a question? Was it Mike or, let me see. Somebody asked a question about jerseys. I got to go back up here. Um, let me see. Yeah, so Mike asked, how many jerseys do I have? So, let me think off the top of my head. So, I got this Bruce Watson. Um, let's see, I got... Well, the, so I got Bruce Watson. I just added the Kyle Newber, Florida Everblades. I got two Morastis, uh, two Curtis Swansons, two Sugdens, by Lois Gates. Um, so that's up to ten. McIntyre, Waugh, Fritz. I think that's it. Am I up? To, do I have thirteen. Is that all I have now? Maybe it's not it. Maybe that's all I have. I think 13. So I've, I've really dwindled my collection here and there. So um, it is what it is. But um, is the information readily available? Was it lost? Yes. Yeah, so a lot of people, I know people were pissed off about it. Um, sorry, we're going back to drop your gloves now. Um, so the, the guy that ran it, I never had any interaction with him. But from what I understand, so his name was number seven. As well, and that's just, that's not, obviously it's not his name, but that's what he went by. It was just like, you know, web name. Um, just decided to stop doing it one day and, you know, didn't pay for anything. Instead of passing the website off to people who would actually take care of it and, you know, nurture it, feed it, love it, and take care of it. Um, he just fucking decided to stop doing it. And the website shut down. Nobody ever got it. So... It's um, everything's gone from what I understand. Now, I know the people who because I know it was a very user driven site, the people who inputted a lot of the fight cards and the information regarding it, um, they have already agreed to come back and help restore the database. So everybody's on board for it. It's just a matter of getting that GoFundMe up to $10,000. I know it seems like a lot of money. 
But believe me, it'll be worth it in the end because there's no other person who could run it better than Steve. And if you don't think so, then just go listen. I'm fuck. Darren, God damn it, send me a fucking check. I keep pumping your goddamn tires, and you're over here just shit talking where I make the where we make the butter over here. Um, but uh, so Darren just had an episode with Steve regarding the Bob Probert Invitational that we just talked about, and they literally go line for line um, of each matchup. And you could tell how passionate Steve is. And Steve is the one running the campaign for the GoFundMe. So you could just see how many, um, how passionate he is about it. And he's the perfect guy to run that website. So um, my hat's off to Steve for trying to do this. And I spent hours inputting fight cards and leagues on there. Hours. Yeah. See, so Mike, you know exactly the struggle. So this is exactly what we're trying to bring back. So um, that was actually, and you know, that was my biggest thing as to why I wanted to go live here. Now I know we only have five people watching. I went live a lot later than I wanted to. I got stuck helping, um, helping my folks move today. So, um, that was unexpected. So I'm a lot, I'm on a lot later than I wanted to be. I wanted to be on here in the afternoon today as it's, you know, almost one in the morning over here on Florida, Florida time. So, um, but that was the biggest thing I wanted to get out of the way here on this podcast was to let people know about that GoFundMe with Steve and kind of start hopefully open some eyes and open some wallets for this fucking GoFundMe uh, Drop Your Gloves 2.0 site. So we'll see how it goes. Hopefully, I let me see what we're at here. I can go look it up on my phone. Um, like I said, I think we are at $1,500 last time I checked. Or not 15 excuse me, $5,100. Um, let me see here. As I go over here, oh, that's me talking. Don't need to hear that. Oh, so we are at, yeah. So we are as of right now, the GoFundMe sits at five thousand one hundred and seventy-nine dollars. So, you know, we're we're halfway there, and you know, Steve was told he wasn't ever going to get five grand for it by some people. So we're already beating the goal, but I mean. It would really be fucking awesome if we can get there and actually make this make this thing a reality and bring back dropping loads. I've donated as much as I can. I know, like I said, times are tough. It's COVID, right? So every every little penny helps at this point. So hopefully we can get some fucking get some more donations here. Pour another beer. If anybody has any other topics, feel free to throw some stuff out. Oh man. I got to say these Bushlight apples, man. So I was very skeptical going in. I'm not a big apple beer guy or like this, what is it, the fucking hard ciders, but this Bushlight apple, I'm a Bush guy anyway, and I'm sure a lot of people know that and, you know, whatever. Oh, it's a terrible beer. Yeah, yeah, I know. Sorry, I don't take out a personal one to go spend on a fucking six pack of craft beer, but the old Bushlight apple, very solid beer. It's not a very sweet, sweet taste of apple. Um, it's a very like... You know, just a hint of apple to where it's not overpowering or anything. So, if you're ever in the area for some bushlight apple, I'll definitely recommend it. But if anybody else has any other topics, like, oh, so I'll, I mean, I'll go back to the jerseys a little bit here. Um, I'm trying to think. So, I do have an Arvin Atwal on the way. That's the jersey I just won in the uh, re- most recent Florida Everblades um, auction that they had. I was the only one who bid on it, so um, you know I, I'm the only one who gets the tough guys. That's my goal. Whenever they have the auctions now, um, we'll see what happens with the Everblades. Uh, Kyle Newber, I know, went back to Canada just for the time being. I don't know if he'll be back, but I know Arvin Atwal um, is. He went to go play overseas, so we'll see how that goes. Ooh, excuse me. Let's see. Mike asked, "Who is your favorite non-enforcer fighter? Think Aginla or Shani?" 
Oh, non-enforcer. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of somebody who I wouldn't consider necessarily an enforcer, but when they threw down, was fucking tremendous. So, mm, trying to get off the top of my head. My mind instantly goes to like lightning players, and that's just you know, that's actually who's your favorite goalie scrapper? Any league bonus points for saying me? <laughs> Apple beer, are you trying to sync up with your period with? <laughs> oh, Darren, Darren, Darren. Fucking asshole. No, I was just trying it once. I was just trying it. It's not a phase, mom, as they say, right? Um, but no, actually, for I will say this. But for apple beer, it's not sweet as shit. It's like a very just, it's a small hint of apple. So I'll fucking take it. Um, so actually, who's your favorite goalie scrapper? Any league bonus point. Wendell. Wendell's a very good, that's a very good answer. Goalie scrapper. I got to say Chris Cloutier, especially when he was with the Lightning. I know he had a couple brawls. Um, especially one with the Panthers, but goddamn, he just didn't give a shit. And that whole, I know people, oh, the code, the code, fuck. Kluge didn't give a shit about the code. We've all seen the Salo fight. And Vinny, yeah, when Vinny was young, he would have, he was filled with a little bit of piss and vinegar when he would fight. Vinny was good. But, um, yeah, Chris Cloutier, well, I love the Vinny fight with Ginla. That's probably the best Stanley Cup Finals fight of all time if I had to put one up there. Um, but yeah, Chris Cloutier, we've seen it with Salo where he just beats the fucking wheels off of him and he doesn't, uh, you know, there's no letting up. Oh, he's down. I'm not going to throw any more punches. And even the announcers are like, you know, oh, well, someone like, got the lines would need to get in there. This is just, this is to be Cloutier's just going. And then he still gives him like another 10. And then he finally backs off of him. And it's, oh, okay, good. Cloutier's backed off now. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, well, we just missed the 10 that he threw at him. But, um, yeah, goalie scrapper. Mike Smith is all right. I was disappointed in his fight. He's a scrappy goalie. He don't take shit. So he won't, he, he doesn't like getting slashed or anything. Um, his fight he had with whomever it was, um, who was it for the, I can't remember who, whoever it was with the flames that was recently happened with the, the battle of Alberta. Oh yeah, you're right. It's Dan Cloutier. Damn. My mind's on the LNA. It's good call, Darren. Yeah. It's Dan Cloutier. You know what? It was funny because I went through. Something with the LNH yesterday. I, I think it was because uh, John at the Hockey Fight League mentioned something about the LNH, and I was thinking of it. But yeah, it's Dan Cloutier. And I just saw a fucking somebody posted a photo in some Tampa Bay Lightning group today about Dan Cloutier. So yes, it is Dan Cloutier. My my apologies. Maybe it's the it's the apples talking. So, um, but yeah, it was. And there you go, Mike. It was Talbot. So yeah, I was a little bit. I was I was expecting more from Smith there in that aspect. But I remember. I think it was Steve Ott, and I. Th- I think I was at the game. Um, Smith was the net for the Lightning. It was the year he was at the Lightning. And I think Ott took a whack at him or something. Or uh, I think he might have slew-footed him after Smith went, or he like brushed up against him or something. But Smith immediately went after him um, right after that and started a little bit of a melee in the corner. It was like when it was outside of the trapezoid. And I think it was Dan. Who, who was it? Not Dan. What? it was, I think it was Steve Downey. Yeah, it was Steve Downey who came in. Um does anyone know, can Chris Cloutier speak English? I don't know, Darren. That's a good question. You never know with the damn LNH players. But um, I think it was Downey who went in there immediately after. Um, he you know, started throwing down with um, Ott. Or it might have been Neil. Maybe it was Neil. So I can't remember off the top of my head. Again, I don't have the reference. But I know he, it was either Chris Neal or Steve Ott. But yeah, Steve Downey jumped in. I always liked Downey. Downey was a guy. There's a dude. You know, I'll say Steve Downey because as a, as a guy who wasn't known as an enforcer, he was just kind of a scrappy guy. He was a lot of fun to watch. He didn't win a lot. But I know one of the things that was is like his big trigger was he 
he wore he was kind of like Jim Kite where he had a hearing aid. He wasn't completely deaf like Jim Kite, but he had a hearing aid. I think from um, yeah, there you go from Neil. So you're right, it was Neil. Um, it was a hearing aid that he had in one of his ears from when he had a car accident when he was younger with his dad. And guys, I guess would try as soon as they took out his hearing aid or like they tried to rip it out. That was when Downey's like wires would cross and he would just go after whoever. So I always like Downey as a, a you know a kind of a scrappier guy for Tampa. Um, and like Chris missed Cujo or he says was it that Cujo Potvin is always epic. Yes. Oh wait. No, you're thinking of um. Was it was it Cujo? Was it? Po- I think you're thinking of Hextall and Potvin. Maybe. Um, throwing Mike Fisher as one of my favorite non-enforcers. Yeah, that was a good one. I think you're thinking of um, Hextall and Potvin. Um, uh, maybe I don't know. I could be wrong. Actually, I don't goalie fights. I don't really know too well. I know there was an Adam Vay one where when Vay was playing with the Mallards and he fucking two pieced a guy from Cincinnati. Um, at like center ice when the goalies were fighting and it was funny cause you could totally see Adam Vay two piece of guy, just one, two, and he's done totally KOs. him. And the announcers, he's, um, your wife is asking to join the group. I'm going to decline to you, but do me that favor, please. <laughs> Better you than me. Right. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was Adam Vay and it was like some, some sort of melee in the East coast league. It was when the Mallards were with the East coast league towards their later years. And it was against Cincinnati and, um, the goalie squared off and the announcer's like, oh, and we're going to have a goalie fight. Vey and yeah, fuck, you know, whoever for Cincinnati and Vey completely just like gives him a quick jab and then KOs the shit out of him. And the announcer's like, and then he just falls down. Like, okay, buddy, that's not biased announcing at all. Like clearly telling <laughs> Vey just KOs the shit out of him. And, you know, he gives him the little, you know, go, you know, oh, sorry, bud, Pat, whatever, when he's done. Um, let's see. Oh, there you go. It's Shovel Day and fucking Cujo. Okay. I was about to say, I think you were thinking of um, Potvin and um, Hextall. But yeah, no, that's another good fight. That is a good one, Chris. You're right. So, yeah, as far as like non-scrappy guy, or excuse me, non-enforcer types go, um, and Wendell's up there. I don't consider Wendell an enforcer. Like, you get power forwards where it's kind of like, you know, Neely and Tockett where I don't consider them necessarily sole, sole enforcers who will always kind of be up there as like some of the top fighters. They were really good. When they did drop the gloves, they meant fucking business. So um, Lindros is up there. I, I'm a huge Lindros fan as well. But holy shit, we've actually gone on here for like an hour and 20. And that's not even including the fucking um, shit that I recorded before where we didn't even have any like fucking... I was trying to see if I could mainline the damn ethernet to the laptop but this laptop doesn't even have an ethernet port let's see Mike asks what do you think of the current cost of uh, let's see this season's jerseys even miners are expensive in my opinion especially in terms of holding value yes miners and that's the thing about miners a lot and I noticed this too with the so the Florida Everblades man they're some of the most expensive jerseys from what I understand in terms of minor pro jerseys and excuse me and so the specialty night jerseys, because I'm a, you know, I mentioned before I was in the Marine Corps. So I was, I, I, I don't have one, but I would love to get a military appreciation jersey um, for one of the nights, especially with the, the, the Everblades just had. They had all the um, military seals on it. So they had the Army seal. Um, and by seal, I mean like the logo. So I should just say the Army emblem, Marine Corps. So I always try to get one where the Marine Corps emblem is on there. But 
the price for that, the starting price for the military appreciation jerseys were like, it was like starting bid started like $600. And I'm sorry. I just, I can't justify paying $600 for a one game wonder Jersey. Unless it was, I mean, maybe if it was like, you know, a morass, you're like a big name guy, but I'm not going to shell out fucking 600 bucks for a Kyle Newber Florida Everblades Jersey. It's just not going to happen. I, you know, I'll, I'll be transparent here. I paid 300 for his Jersey that just passed. Um, and, you know, that was with somebody bidding on it. So it all depends on how much people are willing to bid, of course. They tried to snipe it for me last minute, and it didn't work. Um, so I had to raise it up just a little bit. But I probably could have snagged it for, like, if, if nobody bid on that or tried to snipe it, I probably could have got it for two seventy five. dollars um, The Arvin Atwal nobody bid on, I got for a fair price. That was for two fifty. That's fine. But I do see some, like, some jerseys that just get crazy. I don't understand it. And especially, like, the minor leagues, they're not going to hold their value at all. Even enforcers in general, because enforcers are already a niche group, so I don't see them holding their value down the line. Um, especially, like I said, the L and H ones, especially they. I from I, even the small time I've been collecting, I've maybe been collecting for four or five years, um, you know, off and on. I just don't see L and H jerseys holding their value at all, except maybe if, uh, again if, if it's a big name like Terrio or Morasti, then maybe. Um, Ever seen the Marassi fight from North P? Yeah, I have. That was probably like the last like fight he ever had. That was a good one. Um, he was, I think, it was with Grand Prairie. I think um, that was a good fight. But yeah, so it's with, with these jerseys. Um, minor leagues are definitely not going to hold their value down the line. It's just not going to happen. And like I said, I don't like who's. You, you, tell me in two years who's going to pay six hundred dollars for a military appreciation jersey night, um, or excuse me, military appreciation night jersey. Uh, from the Everblades. It's just not going to fucking happen. So even something like this, of course, I'll never sell this because this is one that was given to me by the player I interviewed, who is Bruce Watson. Um, but like, if I wanted to sell a Bruce Watson Port Huron jersey, you know, who's really going to buy that? Um, not many people. So um, it, it sucks and it's sad. I mean, in a way, I guess it's good for collectors, but L, especially Ellen H jerseys, it's gotten to the point where I think a lot of them, aside from a couple, are kind of staying put right now. A lot of people, the people who collect those jerseys are very, um, like what's it called? They're very dedicated to it. So they don't really move much. And so I think that's what it's going to be, or what it's going to come down to, especially with these minor pro jerseys. Um, NHL ones will always hold their value somewhat. Uh, the bigger, bigger names like, you know, Domi, Probert, guys like that, those will always hold value. But so I bought an Andre Wad jersey for $400. Um, a while back, it's a lightning one. Three years from now, would I ever get? I'm not going to sell that because Andre was one of my favorites, so it's just not going to happen. Um, in terms of me selling it, but if I am I going to sell that for 400? No, I could probably gonna make 400 off that fucking jersey. It's just, it's just how it is, unfortunately. Um, Mike asked, "Have you ever bought from Earl?" Uh, yes, I have. Earl is a big time collector in uh the hockey enforcer jersey world. I know he's getting out of the hobby now. He's also a comedian. I bought two. Brad Lambert. <laughs> I bought two Brad Lambert jerseys from him. Um, and I laugh because there's just a backstory with me and Brad Lambert. I'm not going to get into it a little bit. Um, but, you know, it all worked itself out in the end is all I will say. But, yes, I have bought from Earl before. Um, I, I I do think some of his prices are steep. And, you know, I don't mean to be rude or say anything. I, a guy can charge whatever he wants. So it's, it's his, his right to charge whatever he wants. But in terms of... 
today's value for jerseys, I think Earl charges is a little steep, but it is what it is. If somebody's going to buy it, though, somebody's going to buy it and all more, more power to him. So I'm not going to hold him, hold it against him for, you know, if he can get that kind of cash, then by all means, go ahead and get it. But um, my goal, if I ever sell jerseys, I just try to break even. I've lost, you know, $25, $50 on a jersey before. So it is what it is. But um, my ultimate goal is to just break even on it if I ever, if I ever sell some. Um, a lot of the times I've, I've sold to a couple of players who bought their jersey back. So um, who did I do that? I did that with uh, Mike DeGurse, which I actually traded him for his alumni game worn or what, not game worn, but alumni worn when they, it was the Huntsville Havoc. They made up these Huntsville Channel Cat jerseys um, that were for the, all the Huntsville alumni. I bought, I traded him his um, Laval Chiefs uh, white jersey. So, and that was worn by like six different guys. So it was insane how many, how much wear was on that jersey. But I traded uh, Mike DeGurse that jersey to get that Channel Catch jersey. And then I also sold Steve Bosse's Summum Chiefs jersey. And that one was hard to let go. I had that one for like a month and a half. And I absolutely loved it. That was probably one of the best jerseys in my collection. And Bosse uh, asked if he could have it. And so I, uh, I I gave it to him. Um, all, I, all I asked was if he'd pay for what I, what I paid for it. Um, so... You know, it's a tough market, especially with those minor pro jerseys. Like I said, if, if a guy can break even on it, by all means, go ahead. But I just some of these prices with some jerseys, like I just saw Donald Brashear LNH for like four hundred bucks, which I think is pretty fair, especially considering it's a Brashear. So, um, we'll see where the market goes. I actually had my Link Gates up for a little bit, and I couldn't even get six hundred bucks for it, which is surprising because it's Link Gates. I'm glad I didn't sell it though, because now I look at it, I'm like, oh fuck, you're an idiot for trying to sell that. So I'm glad the Link Gates is still in the closet, and that'll probably be in the closet for a while. I think it was more so because I was on a little bit of hard times. The wife um, had gotten half pay with her job with COVID, so we were really kind of hurting for money there for a second. So I said, well, I can sell some shit. So I did end up selling a couple jerseys, and it really helped out. But at the end of the day, I still have the Gates in the closet, so that's what matters. <laughs> Let me kill this. All right, so anybody just joining in, if you want to think of an enforcer topic to talk about, we're going on an hour and a half here. I'd like to make this at least two hours, give a really good, solid fucking content episode out there. So um, hopefully we can make this to two hours and see what happens. Um, Most time when I do solo episodes, if I'm doing it without, I mean, I like doing this live. I think if I do solo episodes, would you guys like me to do it live in the group? Um, There we go, excuse me. But I mean... Would you guys like me to do this live in the group more often? Um, I have I enjoy it more because it kind of creates organic conversation like we're doing now. Um, let's see, what did Mike say? Zach Sill, another great AHL scrapper who had a cup of coffee in the show. Um, I'm not familiar with that name. If it's anybody like kind of like post like 2014, if they were up here for a quick second, I won't really know him that well. Um, so I do apologize. I. I know, let's see, that LaVon movie was good. Levesque is a tragic hero. Yeah, that movie was really good. Um, Less Chiefs, I have that on DVD. I bought that off eBay. Um, that's a great, great documentary. You can watch it on YouTube, too, for people out there. Um, ooh, there we go. Excuse me. Um, but, no, for the, for those wondering what Mike's talking about, is the Less Chiefs documentary, and it's all about the Laval Chiefs in... 
at the time it would have been the like the QSPHL, so the Quebec Senior League before it became the LNH, and it's about guys like living in the rinks and fighting. It had guys like um, who was it? Uh, Mike Henderson, um, Troy Brody, I know. Um, who else? Uh, Craig Martin. Uh, did it ha- I think it had, well, it had Link Gates in there. Link Gates was an interview, but it showed Craig Martin fighting Link Gates. It had Mike Bajerni. Uh I think those were the big guys that followed was Henderson, Bajerni, and Craig Martin. But, yeah, that whole documentary is fucking awesome, man. And it's it's crazy to think about what guys were doing back in the day in the old Quebec League. And you'll never see a league like that again. And I know it's a shadow of itself, unfortunately. But that league was awesome. And I still watch a little bit of it today. But, um I don't think it will return to um, what it was ever because just guys aren't fighting in juniors. So um, it is what it is. But I enjoy the league a little bit. Uh, it's just not. Let's see. He's got a hilarious mic obsession where he's with the bands. You print their nope. Brady Austin. There you go. That was another one in there. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember. Okay, I remember that that mic'd up um, piece. Um, it's it's funny to me hearing some of the tough guys today, or I mean loosely today, but I, I'll say like you know post I don't know two thousand seven mic'd up, where it's kind of more so like the good luck kind of fight, like the George Larock you know kind of good luck, which is cool, but at the same time, and I know Darren's touched on it, and I think I've touched on it before in the past, but it's almost like that's what kind of killed the enforcer role was everybody kind of got too nice and followed the code too much, which guys had no clue what the code was back in the day. You asked, I think it was. Um, uh, was it Barnaby? I think it was Barnaby who came out and said, was like, I have no clue the, what the fuck this code is. Like, I don't know what everybody's talking about. So, uh, well, I mean, shocker coming from Barnaby who, you know, pretended to be injured and then you know, fought a goalie. But that's besides the fact. But a lot of guys didn't know what kind of, where this code kind of came from until some guy came out with it. So, eh, it is what it is. But I, I and I, I want to. I really am looking forward to see if Darren comes out with this episode. I hope he does, where he takes a. And Darren, you know, I'm call, I'm I'm calling you out, bud. You need to make a fucking code episode where he kind of. Darren has talked about doing a, a deep, uh, excuse me, a deep dive into the code and when it kind of started and when it was kind of the downfall of the enforcer because everybody got too nice. Everybody. Um, it became instead of enforcing and saying you're gonna fucking pay for that, and I even saw it, and I ca- I called it out when it happened. Was it was Cal Foot for you know Adam Foot's son? He plays for the Lightning. Some guy took a run behind at, at a guy from behind. Um, uh, what's it called? He ran somebody from behind, and then he goes up and fights him. And you'd think, okay, you just ran my teammate. I'm I'm mad. I'm gonna fight you. So you know, shed the shed the mitts, go over to him, whatever, fight him. Well, fuck yeah! He was so mad that Cal managed to say, "Hey, hey, oh yeah, Pat, good, good fight, bro." After, after he just ran his teammate, like no motherfucker, he just ran your teammate. That's not good fight. This isn't. Oh yeah, oh, okay. Thanks for the fight, bro. I really appreciate it. No motherfucker, he just ran your fucking teammate. You should keep going until the fucking linesman get in there, and you should fucking pound him into the ice if you're so mad about it. But everybody just pretends to be mad, and everybody's just friends at the end of the oh yeah, like that fucking mic'd up clip. And I've said it, Darren has said it, and everybody said it a hundred times. Oh, we can't wait to work out with you in the summer, bro. It's just like oh god, it's just fucking eye rolling. Um, so it, the code in, in itself almost killed the enforcer. Um, 
Excuse me. And like I said, I really hope Darren does a full episode on this. I know he's talked about kind of doing a write-up on it. I think it would be a lot of fun to kind of do a deep dive into when this the the, the code. And I usually, you know, if you can't see the video here, I know uh, people listening to this um, aren't, if they're not watching this, they can't see my ear quotes. But the code... Um, kind of killed the enforcer role in itself. It was almost, it's like, a, it's like they self imploded and everybody kind of became too nice. Let's see what the mic said. I heard the LNH and the Thresh, Thresh report organized crime. Uh, along with teams in Russia, I wonder how prevalent it is in North America now. I have no clue, but there was a lot of crime and um, we'll say questionable motorcycle gangs involved in the LNH back in the day, <laughs> to say the least. But, um, yeah, so the code is a big thing. Um, and I see how many of these fights are now just pretend and not actually contact like these code fights. A lot. It's a lot. And it's it's sad you see it because you'll see. And it's not just the lightning. That was just the one fight I noticed. And I can probably pull it up and show it. It's that Cal. If you look up Cal foot fight, I think it might be his only NHL fight ever. Um, but like I said, you'll see guys get ran and then a, a teammate goes in there. Oh, I got to fight him. He ran my teammate. Okay. Oh, like, okay, that's cool. You know, props to you. You're going to go stand up for your teammate. Well, he stands up first, stands up for his teammate. As I do air quotes again, if you're not watching the video, he stands up for his teammates. And then, like I said, throws a couple Jersey jabs and then refs get in there. Good fight, bro. Like, no, like, why is it a good fight? Well, like, if you're so mad about it, then fucking pound his face. And I'm sorry. I know it. I know people don't fucking don't like it. Some people don't like the hitting when they're down. But if a message needs to be sent, if you're running guys from behind, hitting them in the numbers, which, again, I know is a touchy subject today because guys like to fucking turn into the boards today. And don't get me started on that. Um, but it shouldn't be this whole good fight, bro, after after the shit happens. If you're trying to send a message, then fucking send a message. None of this fucking bullshit. So, exactly. Mike, like you said, stands up, no actual hatred. Exactly. That's exactly how it is. Um, so, the code in itself killed itself. Everybody became too nice. Everybody wanted to become that George LaRock, which George LaRock, and it probably could have lasted a little bit longer. And I think Darren mentioned this in the episode with Steve. Um, probably could have lasted a little bit longer had he not been so nice to people. So, um,. And some guys were like that too. Their their fight career probably could, or excuse me, probably could have lasted a little bit longer compared to others. So I don't know. Um, the code, in a certain aspect, I could see it, but at the same time, it's more so self imploding than anything. I think. Um, and the L and H, if we're talking, it's a different story to say good fight because obviously they're to put on they're there to put on a show. Um, and the good fight afterwards is a little bit different because, like I said, that's what they're they're putting on a show for. So Chris said, I don't know how these players don't lose their minds with this shit. The game is so castrated that somebody who boards, elbows, etc., something doesn't expect consequences. Somebody boards me or a teammate, I'm fucking losing my mind. Exactly, and that's how it is. And I don't mean to sound macho man or anything like that, but... If anybody's friends with me on Facebook, I posted a video of me cross-checking a guy in beer league. And I know what you're thinking. It's fucking beer league. Don't take it that serious. Let's fucking calm down here. And I get it. But the same that, that same team was doing shit all game. And it was like the last 30 seconds. So I was like, fuck this. Like, I'm just going to cross-check him. I don't fucking care. Just how it is. But it's like at an NHL level where fighting is tolerated. And if you could actually get good at it, why would you not want that to be a skill on your team? Why would you not want to have that on your team? Where if the consequence is Ryan Reeves pounding your face, in which again, I don't see Vegas getting ran, 
quite often or any guys from Washington get ran often because you have to pay with Tom Wilson and Ryan Reeves. And those are two guys who won't give you that code bullshit. Oh, you ran my teammate. Good, you know, good, good job, buddy. Good job. Good, good fight. They're not going to do that. Tom Wilson, and I, I, they love being the villain. That's the whole reason that they're on the team and why, why, well, one, why Reeves is still in the NHL and two, why Wilson got that big ass con or excuse me, the big ass contract that people were, Oh, I don't know why he got such a big contract, but that's exactly why. So, um, if guys were more like that, I would, I would want that on my team all day. Um, so let's see how many more of the reasons, numerous, excuse me, Mike's talking, uh, how many more of the recent LNH fights are similar? There's numerous ones in recent years that seem to just almost obligatory and they don't actually punch to hurt. Even, yeah. Even, even the LNH fights now, and I noticed that too. And I, there was one game where it was like three off the draw, and I think it was between Laval and St. George, I think. And there was three one after another. It was like puck drop fight, puck drop fight, which is, you know, fucking par for the course for the LNH. But at the same time, it still looked like they were even kind of just like, it's to put on a show, but it's not a good show. So it's like these guys will fight, but it's not that great. If I'm looking to see two guys fight, I'd rather see the masters at the crafts. I'd rather see, you know, the Dave Browns and Chris Nylons going at it than, you know, Joe Schmo and, you know, fucking Schmuckatelli going at it because they're just kind of doing it just to do it as opposed to fighting and actually fighting. Like, yeah, Morasti, if you look at it, Morasti and Dubé, yeah, they were putting on a show and they give props to each other at the end of the day, but um, during the fight itself and the LNH, you see them, they're, fu- they're fucking throwing straight on the pipe going toe to toe. Um, so it's like, uh, I I don't know when this whole, especially with the LNH, when it kind of starts. I know, like, again, with the LNH, it's a different animal because the league is, you know, something so different in its own. But I don't I don't get where this shit started with the code, and I really hope Darren does a deep dive into it. Um, in the NHL, it's it's funny. And like he said, there's there's two different generations. There's people who think the the code was a thing, and then there's guys who, like as I mentioned with Barnaby, have no clue what the fuck a code the like the code is. So I don't know. We'll see how it happens. The animal and Morasti, those guys were tossing. Yeah, even at the end of their fucking, they're at the end of their tenure there with, uh, you know, that 14, 15 season I think it was or thirteen, fourteen, and they're fucking throwing straight down the pipe. So, um, it's rough. It's it's rough today. So, I mean. I don't know how much more I can fucking, you know, describe on this code, but um, it's unfortunate. So I don't know. It's 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 a weird state with hockey now, especially because since the pipeline's been cut off at junior with with fighting um, guys kind of do it and they think they know what they're doing. But I know people don't like kids fighting in junior because I, I get it. They're technically still like, you know, 16, 17. Um it's just a weird time where if a guy's whooping on your team, you're not going to sit there and try to check IDs. So you're going to try to fight in junior. But if guys aren't doing it in junior and can't get any experience with it, they're not going to be good at it in the NHL. And like I've said, like Darren said, so if he didn't fight in junior, what makes him all of a sudden going to become an enforcer in the NHL? That's just not going to happen because it's not in their blood. It's not in their DNA to start fighting and throwing down. Um, So it's just a weird state that hockey's in now, unfortunately, but. Um, so let me pause this real quick. Uh, not the video. I'll keep that up. I got to go rock a piss. I've had, so I've had six beers, so I'll be right back. I got to rock a piss. All right, there we go. Back to recording here. 
Oh, this has been the best part of the show. Yeah, go fuck yourself, Darren. God damn you. You know what? Fucking A. You know, you're always thinking you're going to give me some topics to talk about, and you're over here just fucking slamming me. Oh, man. So what do we got? Hour 42 here on the live. What do we got? We're an hour 42 in on the actual recording. See if we can fucking get another topic um, going on for the last 15 minutes of the show here. We'll try to wrap it up with two hours. It's pretty solid. We end at one, what, 1.45 in the morning. Not bad, not bad. Oh, man. I'm surprised. Every, I'm actually surprised this many people are watching. I mean, I know we only got six, but I'm surprised this many people are watching, you know, this late at night. Like I said, I really want to do this in the afternoon, but things got in the way. I got <laughs> got recruited last night to uh, <laughs> help my my grandmother move her stuff out of a pod into her apartment. So that was fun. I was supposed to be doing this um, at, I wanted to be on like a 12, but it was, let's see. Mike says, I remember when I was 14 in a goalie camp to prep for the following seasons, it was my QMJHL draft year. We spent the whole afternoon session on fighting Picture this five or six goalies all on the ice during see we gotta open it during a camp, learn to fight. I was all a five foot eleven and hundred forty pounds soaking wet, and I get paired up with Jason Churchill, six three and nineteen years old, be learned to grapple and hold, and all I hear is, Okay, now go and they beat my tires off. Every punch he said, Sorry, 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 and I'm bleeding just learning through. <laughs> That's fucking tremendous. I couldn't even imagine if that happened today. Well, one, it wouldn't happen. But two, if it did, I think he would be in fucking jail right now. That's fucking awesome. Do um, You know what? That's something I've thought about, too. Actually, you know what? We can bring that up. Should teams bring back guys like we're, you know, and I, I know he's in the group. I don't know if he's watching, but Doug Smith, I know he was kind of a, a fight coach. Uh, you know, and helping out with the province Bruins, and I've seen footage of it. And was it Barch on the on the Stars at the time? But I know Shane Churla helped out with the Stars at one point in training camp about fighting. Do you think guys should help out with fights? And you'll see it every once in a while when a guy, um, when like a guy who's kind of fought a little bit more on a team is helping other guys out. But I really think that there should be a fight coach, and it's not so much to go out there and start shit because it's just not going to happen in today's NHL with the instigator rule, excuse me, the instigator rule and then like the final 10 minutes or five minutes in the third, whatever it is, all those rules that are implemented. But it's more so to help guys protect themselves because guys now just don't know how to fight. If they're not doing it in junior, they're not going to start in the NHL. So if they don't know how to fight and protect themselves, I think they need to. So I think there should be like, you know, personally like fight coaches and shit like that still going around in the NHL. Um, yeah, even at the pro level, because it, it's an important piece. If you do happen to get in the odd scrap and you don't know what the fuck you're doing, it can be dangerous. That's when it gets, I know, you know, it can be dangerous when two guys who really know what they're doing fight because they're really good at it, but it's also dangerous to not know what you're doing. And if the other guys even, I mean, in today's NHL, if a guy's been in five fights, he's already rules ahead of the guy who's been in no fights. So it should be to protect yourself. And, I know it sounds kind of savage with what with Mike, which you posted there with, you know, being a goalie and fighting, but that well, that's just how it was back then. But even today, 
not, does a goalie need to learn how to do it? No, because that's probably just not going to happen with a goalie fight in today's NHL. But I think guys should know how to protect themselves and fight um, in the odd scrap that it does happen because guys can fuck up their hands really quick or just get laid out really quick, as we saw with um, who was Adam Ernie. Um, he didn't, you know, play the right defense. And I think Goodrow, I can't remember if it was Goodrow or Coleman, but fucking knocked him out clean. So um, I think that could be an important part. And, uh, you know, I'll ask you this, Mike, did that help you at all when you started doing that? And did you, did you ever end up using that um, later on down the road? Um, let's see. Also, Mike, you ask, what's the worst injury you've seen during a fight that, oh, fuck, that went too far. Oh, shit, that looks like it hurt. Um, so I'll credit this to, uh, to Darren for posting the video. I'm trying to think of who it was, you know, I'll look it up and it was, it was Kerry Toporowski and I think it was, was it Fletcher? I'm just trying to think of it off the top of my head. And it was after the fight had ended. It was one of the most brutal fucking things you'll ever see. I, I think it was Fletcher. I'm trying to look for it now. Um, Yes, yeah, so it was Steve Fletcher in the IHL. So after the fight happens, you know, Toporowski and Steve Fletcher, they fight, and it's in the IHL at the time. They go down, and Steve Fletcher takes Kerry Toporowski's arm and basically kind of like, like, he almost has like a bear hug to it, and he just takes it, and he fucking like, I know people people who listen to this are like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Because you can't see the video of me, like, you know, doing my, my fucking pantomiming over here. Um, but he takes his arm and he's like singes it down and he just fucking rears back with it and basically just like pulls Toporowski's um, arm like out of it. Like his whole fucking arm is just going the opposite way. And that's probably the most brutal thing I've seen in a hockey fight. And I know it was technically after the fight when they got down on the ice, but um, from what I understand, they were not allowed to play each other ever again like whenever they those two teams played each other or whenever those two guys were in the lineup one of them had to be sat out because shit was going to go down because of course Toprowski as we know is no saint he did some crazy shit and there's no doubt about that um so the league I think knew shit was about to get serious if you know Steve Fletcher and Kerry Toprowski were on the ice again and somebody probably could have fucking died so it was probably smart by the league but yeah that was probably the most brutal thing let me see yeah. Yep. So there you go. So Darren posted it right there in the in the comments. So if you're in the comments now, check out that video. It's really quick. It's not a long video. I think. Let me let me see. I'm not gonna click it there. So it's 49 seconds. So yeah, go look at that. That's a fucking. It's brutal. It's one of the most brutal things you've seen in a hockey fight. Um, and I guess I'll say uh, another brutal thing is. I don't personally give a shit if a guy's getting hit when he's down. If you're really trying to send a message, then by all means, go ahead and do it. Um. But, like, when Dave Brown gets to the ground and pound, or Ben Wilson, I, fuck, I forget who it was, but he was from Detroit. When Ben Wilson ground and pounds the guy, oof, that's that's rough. I mean, bounces a dude's head off the ice, and Shikoni did it, too. Shikoni did it when he was in Chicago. Those are always, you're like, oh, fuck, that, like, that fucking hurts. Um, wouldn't want to be on the, on the end of that. So, Mike said, so in regards to my question, when I asked him how, you know, did that fighting, t- uh, you know, kind of class or... Um, camp help even though he's a goalie so he says <clears throat> excuse me so he says yeah brother it helped or excuse me it 100% helped you learn real quick how to defend yourself when someone is punching you 
I've got a few fights on YouTube from over the years. Fought a few goalies. One actually last year or whatever it was before COVID hit. Fought a couple players as well. And I, I know exactly what, um, by the way, you can go look at his fight. That the, His most recent one, I've seen it. It's a great fight. Um, says, fought a few goalies once actually last year or whatever. It was before COVID. Fought a couple players as well. Sometimes those didn't go well. Got TKO'd by a player who turns out he was a boxer. Um, sorry, I'm scroll back up. But honestly, you've got to put in the time to learn. Now I'm confident in fighting, and I understand that I'll get hit. But I also took some boxing and MMA lessons as well, so that's really good. Um, Shikoni on pusher. Yep, that's the one I was thinking of. Yeah, Shikoni absolutely bounces the motherfucker's head off the ice, and that's oof. It's rough. Um, Chris said, for me, it's always going to be twist, put in a hole, and raise face. Yes, that's a that's a brutal one. And when you actually hear the story of it, which I have it in the interview with Rob Ray. Um, when I interviewed him, he goes into the, uh, excuse me, detail about that injury. And you can hear it about a little bit um, about the fight. And I, I probably should have made the clip a little bit longer. I didn't think about it when I – so he goes into uh, detail about the injury. But – on my YouTube channel, which I have, it's, you know, Five for Fighting Podcast on YouTube. I, I need to upload more shit from, I need to, you know, clip parts of the podcast and upload it. But um, disregarding that, you can actually see the clip of the interview I had with Rob Ray where he goes into detail about fighting Tony Twist and, you know, what that was like for him. But, yeah, that was rough. And the, the craziest thing about it, I know people give Ray shit. He didn't get knocked out or he didn't get, I mean, maybe a TKO. I think it was more so... I, like I said, technical knockout on fucking injury because I mean, if I get my goddamn you know, face caved in right here and his nose broken in, I'm going the fuck down. So, um, yeah, that one was rough. And Ray ends up going to the penalty box, doesn't even go to the bench, puts an ice bag on his face. And you can see when he comes up, and again, I'm over here with, uh, excuse me, over on the video, so if you're just listening to this, you can't see what I'll do, like my Rob Ray impression, he's fucking over there, his eyes is all, he's like looking up and like looking around like this, and you're like, holy shit, like you can just tell his eyes pretty much swollen shut, and he goes to the penalty box a little bit, and then he ends up having to go to the, um, the training room to get worked on, and the way he describes it in the episode, which again, you can go listen listen to it. It's back in my, my catalog, but you can go listen to it. He basically describes it as having like an air pocket that like travels up his face and you can feel like it's like in his cheek and it's traveling up his nose when he's breathing. So it was like insane the way, like the, the, that just shows you the power of Tony Twist and what the damage that man can do to people. So that fight was definitely awesome in terms of um, the punch, like, showcasing the punching power of twist. Um, not so much for Ray, which again, I will say though, and I know there's the big enigma around Rob Ray with his Jersey coming off and everything. Fuck. He's goddamn. He's got one of the best TKO slash, you know, KO totals in the NHL. It's been brought up many times, but, um, it happens and he's TKO'd. I think more renowned guys than coaster. And I know that's, that might be a controversial topic, but if you go back and look it up, it's hard to, hard to argue. Um, I see Mike's actually used it a few times playing in beer league as well. When stupid shitheads take it too far and no one else can help. Um, I hate it in beer league, but sometimes it has to happen. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it does, man. And there's always those guys in beer league. And that was the, it was funny. I, you know, I building up the championship D league that I fucking play in, but the team we were playing when they, when they start going up or, you know, we started taking the lead a little bit. It was like four to two with 30 seconds or uh, 
there was like two minutes left in the game. They started just getting chippy. And for no reason, it's like, it's fuck, dude. It's fucking beer league. Like, what are we doing here? Like, I got to work in the morning. Um, and people just take it too far sometimes. And it's fucking annoying. And I got tired of it. And I fucking cross-checked the dude. It just happens. It's just it's just beer league. At the end of the day, it's fucking... Hockey will always be hockey no matter what level you play at. Emotions run high. But, yeah, there's always those fucking assholes that take it too far. And they were... One of our guys got boarded. One of their guys got ejected. I'm like, dude, it's fucking D League, and I got cross checked in the back with 30 seconds left. I got tired, and I turned around. I cross checked him. I spent the last, you know, 26 seconds in the box or whatever. So, um, it is what it is. But at the, I mean, yeah, it might sound stupid. I know it's fucking beer league, but again, people just always try to be fucking assholes. Um, playing for the scouts in the stands. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Let's see. Great beer league chirps. Everyone's got to work. Frig off. Exactly, man. That's like shit. <laughs> I'm already. I already don't play with a cage, so because I have a face made for radio anyway, and um, you know, I already got my wife, so I don't have to look good for anybody. So I already don't play with a cage. That's bad enough. So let alone trying to fucking get in a fight with somebody. The one hockey fight I've ever been involved in, I got the fucking wheels beat off me. So, um, yeah, I'd rather not do that and <laughs> have to go into work with a black eye and a fucking broken nose. Um. But yeah, it's a good time. I love beer league. It's it's the most fun I've ever had. I gotta fucking I gotta play tomorrow at like seven thirty, which is a night game. The new league I'm in. It's all mostly in the mornings, but tomorrow's the first night game I've had in a while, so it'll be fun. I will say this, Hertz Arena, where the Everblades play, excuse me, Everblades. Um the presentation for their B League for the recreational rank is fantastic. They played Disturbed at the fucking pregame warm-up, so it makes you want to goddamn drop the gloves because, you know, it's very LNH-esque of them to be playing Disturbed in the pregame warm-ups. Now, of course, I don't have Terrio wired on um, whey protein chicken and pre-workout, you know, screaming at me at the blue line. So probably a little bit different setting, but, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Actually, I will say I, I will give mad props to Hertz Arena for their their adult league presentation. They do such a great job. Um, it's insane, so that's really cool. But I'm looking forward to catching Blades games there. But let's see. At minute, not a minute, now we're 56. I think that's we'll, we'll call it good enough there. I've been going on. I'll still be in the group. I might, I'll probably end up looking up, you know, some fights and shit after this and posting it, but. Um, anyways, guys, I had a lot of fun doing the live feed with everybody. I think I'll do this more often as far as my, um, solo episodes go. If, you know, if you're, you're tuning in a little bit late and you want to catch the full episode, I think you can either go back and watch this video. Not sure if you want to stare at my ugly mug the entire time, but you can catch the episode coming up this Tuesday. I'll have it saved on here and ready to ready to rock, and I'll get it all edited out and everything. Well, there's not really much to edit. Um, I'm gonna keep it pretty um, I don't know, organic for the most part, I guess we'll say. Um, so, I appreciate everybody taking the time to comment and kind of give some topics and keep the show going on for a little bit. Like I said, I really wanted to get this out in the afternoon and maybe get some more discussion going and stuff like that. Um, but you know, hey, six people is better than no people, right? Um, so seriously, thank you everybody for giving topics and sticking along with me for the show. Chris, I know you probably watched the whole damn thing. You got nothing else better to do over there. You probably just, you, you know what? You probably fucking queued this up. I know you got your lawn chair in your living room and you put this up with a Bluetooth, um, 
<laughs> on your one TV because it's, you know, girls just can't have guys living like that as you posted earlier. But seriously, thank you everybody for tuning in. Uh, hope to do this again soon. Um, go ahead and give the show a, you know, thumbs up. I'll, I'll plug the, uh, the, the ads real quick. If you want to follow the podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, Facebook, you know, just look up five for fighting podcast. You'll find it. Uh, give it a thumbs up and a follow Instagram. Just type out regularly, uh, five, like the number five, not the number five, but like, you know, just five regularly for fighting pod. Find it on there on Instagram. Twitter at the number five and then for fighting pod. Give it a follow, a like, whatever. Um, Chris is playing Battlefield One. There you go. Um, and do me a favor, rate and review the show. It really helps the podcast grow. Share this, whatever. Tell your friends about it. Um, whatever the case may be. So hopefully everybody can kind of crack a beer and enjoy this. But thank you everybody for tuning in. I greatly appreciate it. And I hope you have a good night. And maybe I'll be back next weekend. Who knows? If I can try to do the Rob Volterra interview live, I'll see what I can do. But I don't think it's going to happen. i got to figure that stuff out. But anyways, the next solo episode, you I will do it here. Thank you everybody. For your right. Bye everyone. You got